Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your appropriately frequent uh, recording or uh, assault on. I can't even change it without like losing the rhythm. It's, a rhythm. it's like I lost the dribble there. Yeah, well, it's we'll very it complicated. Do we need to try this again? Yeah. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do. A plethora of things at a place called Freethink. They're all incredibly valuable, whether or not you're aware of them. But I'm delighted to be here in this particular room with this distinguished group of human beings. It is just phenomenal to be here. Matt Welch, the editor at Large Reason Magazine, is in the building. He's in the room. How are you, Matt Welch? I'm just trying to think about how to to monetize the last five minutes of our conversation (laughs) before we started rolling this. (laughs) But we were rolling on some of that. I just realized. We stay rolling. Stay rolling. Uh, Michael Moynihan. That's better than the last episode. <laughs> it's, trust me. Yeah, the last yes. episode is not worth pining over. <laughs> no, this one is Stop worth it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Michael Moynihan of Vice News, also in the building. Yeah. How, are, how are you gentlemen doing? I, you know, good. We kind of spent a bit too much time with you already today. So it's Yeah, uh, we uh, hung out with you today. This has so, been a busy week for Matt was going to post a picture a of us all at your house, but my fat stomach was hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah this like love handle like yeah. spilling out <laughs> over the drink so there. Nice. But the, uh, the I don't want to tickle I, me Elmo in your hand. I don't want to bury the Which lead. It's not a euphemism by the way. We were having, no it's actually <laughs> literally, has, he was holding tickle me Elmo. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's facts but last time I saw you, one of the last times I saw you which was uh, again, um, today mm-hmm. uh, already we we're having a rare a uh, fifth column uh, lunch. Lunch, yes. Um, in uh, in Fort yes. Green, alongside, uh, by the way, on either uh, on either side of it, uh, Wyatt Senak. Wyatt Senak was there. Is a, yes. a very bad show for HBO. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I'm not affiliated with HBO anymore. Yeah, you you didn't even notice him. Piece of shit I don't know who he is. Yeah, he so, was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which uh, he has one episode about. Um, uh, Space colonialism. Do you remember when we watched that? Yes, it's a really strange one. And yeah. then, and then, uh, your friend mm. uh, who shot quite a look at you on the way out, Torre. Torre. So yeah. believe it or not, who's listeners, been canceled. He's been canceled. He's been canceled. And so, I think our guest you know has what? written a whole book I was about just it. Gonna, I was just going to say, we should, we should introduce our guest. Memoir. We should introduce yeah. our guest because it's, it, it's very strange. It is unusual yeah. to not introduce the guest right away. I think I'm right. just going to change. I'm no. just going to change it up and just. It go directly to the guest from now on. Why? Well, I'll talk about it in a minute. Ugh, stupid. But Megan Dom is here, celebrated Woo! author mm. and, and and writer and thinker. Aww. She yeah. is here Thank in you. the room. She's also a fan of the podcast, and she has an exciting new book, ladies and gentlemen, called yeah, The right Problem here. with Everything. You're holding My it journey. Up. Yes. Everybody can see. I was going to say so, so Camille could see it. This is something that you can oh, yeah. you can Aww. obtain next yeah. week. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, and she's here in the building. She's going to give us a preview of her book. Megan, thank you for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. This is a little surreal because, you know, I'm a super fan. So So how did you approach your drinking choice based on listening to the I took the girl drink. I noticed you brought in the white white wine (laughs) for me. What do you think? Okay. Matt is like, oh, thanks for all the whiskey. Where's the white wine? Yeah, the rosé, the Gatorade of the Hamptons is not here. It's not here because it's fall. It's like wearing white shoes after Labor Day, drinking rosé, not to be done yes. in October. I love it. Um, well, we were talking about uh, Torre. 
because these I didn't realize canceled. he was canceled. I remember yeah. when he was a very went, quiet canceled. Yeah, <laughs> that, he went away that quietly. Quietly being canceled is a self-canceling well, notion. Well, he went away canceled quietly. He, he went away quietly, yeah. and people didn't make much of uh, a deal about it. Yeah, I think um, his his great crime was um, making very lewd comments and mm-hmm. remarks towards, uh, I think, a makeup woman or something like that, on yeah. someone on his staff, yeah. perhaps multiple people on his staff, and he sent a bunch of direct messages via Instagram saying, please don't out me. I don't want to get in yeah, trouble. Yeah, this yeah, would be really yeah. bad for me. By the way, that and shows of course you those just messages how dumb he is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't have to be like Fat Tony to realize, like, just use the phone. <laughs> and if you're not going to use the phone, like, meet they at, like, the Ravenite Social Club and walk around yeah. the block a few times. They may not be Literally friends. texting somebody with evidence yeah. saying, please oh. don't expose me is a very, very bad idea. Just, no. I, just it seems obvious to me. Right? Yeah. I don't know. But he doesn't like you. That's no, for he doesn't sure. like me. That was the thing. Like, we were in this rare situation where... Uh, there was the a hint of a possible altercation, and Moynihan was the one talking sense. Yeah, <laughs> like Camille wanted to, like he was ready to throw blows. Yeah, I wasn't going to throw blows. That's racist of you to even suggest that's the case, Matt Welch. What I said was, <laughs> Moynihan, should I go over there and tell him that he's a sucker and I don't like him, <laughs> yeah. and I don't like the way he carried himself after so our last code switching interaction, interaction during yeah. <laughs> during the the Joy Reid show. Mm. I didn't like that. And I didn't like the way he carried it afterwards. And I was trying to be cool, but I didn't like it. He See, didn't shake your hand, right? He wouldn't shake my hand afterwards. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of, eh. And yeah, to be yeah. clear, we were at a, a, a place, a mm-hmm. restaurant, eating, yeah. talking, drinking. And he was at the bar. And I didn't see any of this. No, he was at the, the bar. The, he, had, the he was table. at a table. Right in the first one when you came in. Oh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. uh, but, That's uh, why I recommended oh, to Camille go open the door, duck back in and say, keep it in your pants and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like, you win, right? But he said that after we were like a block away, because I would have told him. Yeah, L'Esprit de Scala. Yeah, yeah. As, as we walked That's, out the door, like I noticed him like shooting daggers at us, glaring apparently. Yeah. Which yeah. apparently he maybe hates you too. Maybe he wanted you to hand. stop and know. take his resume. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wait, I am so I am so out of it. What yeah. was his? I, I mean, I know him as a journalist and as a writer. What was his? I, I'm really I'm really yeah. out of it. What yeah. was his show? Did, what happened um, here? What's his? Because I mean, I well, remember him podcast. from like 25 years ago. Yeah, he was like at Rolling Stone. Yes, I remember when yes. I first met him at a restaurant in Dumbo, and I didn't um, know he was. This is a while ago, like maybe 10 years ago or something. And I was sitting next to him, and we started talking. Um, and he said, oh, I'm a journalist. I said, oh, me too. And I said, well, uh, what's, what's your name? And he said, Torre. And I said, what's your last name? And he said, uh, I don't have one. Yeah. I swear to God, he actually said that to me. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't think we're going to be friends, but um, <laughs> it's have a nice breakfast. It seems like a good plate that you ordered. And that was the end of that conversation. But under yeah. what circumstances would he have a makeup artist? He was like on MSNBC. The, oh, he was I see. This wasn't like a regular. regular yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. He didn't have one just coming over the house before he went out or anything. It, was, it wasn't a glam, glam squad person. No, I don't know. I don't remember the details of it, but yeah. it's just there's once in a while somebody that you don't like and it happens to them. And I'm like, no, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, this happened shortly after our in- encounter, I believe, at yeah. MSNBC. You should have sent him like a ham or something. Yeah. An edible, an edible <laughs> arrangement in the shape of his penis. <laughs> I don't know what his penis get... looks like. Yeah, you do. Every penis oh. is unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a, we're not like going to the, get there already. I will say that we have <laughs> um, a, a nice assortment of booze that we all brought ourselves. I don't think we have any uh, listener booze. Well, but I did bring um, uh, Brooklyn Cha-Cha, which is the Georgian... Uh, national drink, but apparently they're making it in Brooklyn now, which it, all of a sudden, like this horrible thing that I drank when I was in Georgia has become a twee Brooklyn thing with this yeah. little 
little uh, typeface and stuff. You can't see. You can Google it if you want. But yeah. some cha-cha for you. So anyway. Um, so we, we – maybe to, to take all of the beginning banter a little too far too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I just want to say this week we nearly lost Mr. Michael Moynihan. Oh yeah, that's like, true. He nearly died. Yeah, I forgot what? about that. And I was you there. Forgot to already? Do you, you know like how little already? I care about you know my life? That's how like, exciting his life shit, is. That was, you know what's insane? Just... You've forgotten it, and I've been traumatized by it. I cannot really? forget. So Sunday, I was traumatized when I, by the woman who <laughs> fell out of the car. So Sunday, Sunday <laughs> night, Sunday <laughs> night, I had I she had no pants on. Okay, Sunday night, I have dinner with Michael Moynihan. Like we're having like pizza because we had just recorded something, probably bonus content for this podcast that yes, will eventually come out when we yes, have a we Patreon page up and stuff. We'll talk about uh, that. Preview. Um, but uh, we part ways. Yeah, he goes to his yeah. place. I'm going in my direction. And all of a sudden, I hear this like thing that sounds like a damn train going mm. by. And it's a car. And it goes by pretty quick. And I don't turn around immediately because it's past me. Yeah. But then I hear this sound like a bomb going off. Yeah. And I turn around and this car hit is- a building. In the what? building. Yeah, in the building. It's in the building. Inside the yeah. building. It, it yeah. goes. Uh, did it, it break glass or brick? It broke, or uh, brick. It broke yeah. brick. Yeah. yeah. And it, it may crazy. have shattered a window or something because I saw people who were in the building who looked like they were outside. And I was. And another car yeah. uh, swerved away from it and then hit a line of But this cars. is the thing. He was limping around. Like it was exact. The car was exactly in the direction where Moynihan had been walking. Yeah, it was like, right, it was like right behind me. It didn't even compute to me that, wait, he yeah. should be standing where that car is. I had to pee really bad, so I was pretty fast. If I didn't have to pee, I'd probably, you'd be doing this. Okay. Having to a, pee probably saves it, a lot of us from a lot of bad situations. <laughs> I've well, got a true. lot of stories about that. Yeah. But I mean, special it just keeps you Patreon. out of trouble. It keeps you out of trouble having to pee a lot, I but find. But for a period of about two minutes, yeah. the first of which I'm thinking, Why? that that was a car accident. That was terrible. Someone might be dead. I should run away. Um, and, then <laughs> I thought, and then I thought to myself, Did you even know that's, that's toxic, ma- that's toxic masculinity and, yeah. right there. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, holy shit, Moynihan might be over there. Yeah. He might be dead. Yeah. And I started to inch back towards Ka-ching. the scene of this accident. Yeah. Inch. Yeah. Inch. inch back because I was, a, dear friend, I was afraid it might be gross. Was it like yes. that it would be gross? Yes. Yeah, well, no, well, it's no, true. No, it might be gut-wrenching. We just had this Literally, pleasant dinner there would be, yeah. and he was telling me about all the things in his life he was excited oh, about. That's he talked about his daughter ends. and how beautiful she was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he can't wait it's to true. dance with her at their wedding. Like at her wedding. I think I said that. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like in a few weeks. <laughs> because this is going to be someone's child yeah. bride. Yeah. And then, yeah. This is on a, on a small road in Appalachia where we turned. And, and, then this, and then this friggin' accident happens and I'm just, I'm stunned. And I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about the fact that he might be there under this car. And I just yeah. take out my phone. I start calling him. And, and I call I, one time. And, and I'm silencing it. Oh, what yeah, is happening? Because I, 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 I went straight to voicemail, voicemail. I was like, oh, my God. No, I was, he's dead. I was, I was silencing it because I was trying to help the wounded. <laughs> honestly. Because I'm not a complete coward. <laughs> I mean, to run away from things. Tiptoeing to his maybe Jesus. dead friend. I, thought, I know. I'm I, like, I'm I like Audie Murphy gonna, compared to you. I, I like run into the trenches. What was the extent of the wounded? Was it was there blood and guts? Or was this like Well, that's the funny thing. It was, tra- it was that, psychological trauma. Uh, no, no, no. This was very real trauma. Um, and I, so the, 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 it appears that this woman came barreling through the the, the traffic uh, light, the traffic light, yeah, the red light, going probably like sixty miles an hour in the city, and um, uh, almost hit somebody and swerved. They both swerved, and uh, 
So she, she, this is not funny. No, it's actually really funny. It's, it's pretty funny. It's her fault. Nobody uh, died. No, well, well, who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah, well, she looked very much alive. You know why? Because she was running across the street screaming with no pants on. <laughs> and so, so then, and then she comes back to the car, lays flat on her stomach. She's about 500 pounds, 400 pounds, something like that. She's a, she was a, she was a, she was a big woman, but she was wearing a bot, a thong bodysuit. And that's it. And she was lying on the ground screaming <laughs> and, and bloody. And then there's another guy who's limping and he's like, where's my phone? And I was like, I don't know, dude, where's your phone? He's like, that's my phone. I was like, I'll get your phone. So I went and I, when you were oh, calling me, I was trying to get. He was from the car. Yeah, he was from I the know, other car. This is like, and then an NYU film student crew showed up. <laughs> well, if they did, it was, was some of the best special yeah, effects yeah, I've ever I, seen in my life because it was crazy. And so, um. The cops come. This woman gets up and she, and like, the, so th- what happens in my neighborhood? If somebody like, you know, has a hangnail, when you blink, I'm sorry, this is just true. You blink and there's 3,000 Hasidic people in the street <laughs> in a circle. <laughs> it's so crazy. They're all outside. And the guy, and the guy comes up and he's like, Hey, what happened? Was it, uh, the, the drinking? Yeah. What are they? And I'm like, hey, what is this? Like an Eddie Murphy bit? I was like, no, I don't know, dude. And all, cause I was there and I saw it. Then I became, I was like, gather around, ye hussies. Let me tell you, so they're all standing around me. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm speaking Yiddish perfectly. I don't even know I can do it. It's amazing. Standing on, standing yeah. on top of this wreckage. Yeah, the wreckage. Like and I was like, lift you know, he's right in the gizzard connected to these oink. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> and so th- then the cops come. <laughs> and there's like 400 cops. And the, the entire time, they're just trying to push the hissing crowd back. There's literally, because they were like, literally standing over this woman's body, like looking. They don't have like <laughs> oh. cameras. I know they're not like Mennonites, but they don't have They've cameras. They've never seen someone like, without their pants and on. And it was like, yeah, totally. And it was like really quizzical. <laughs> they usually have that hosiery, right? They, yeah, like, they're yeah, bloomers. Yeah. So the bloomers like, would be like an airbag protecting you. Yeah, actually, yeah. Potentially. Exactly. Comes out That's, and you breeze up yep. into the wind. Um, you know, just like floating away. Whoa, there goes Chaim. Um, it was so bizarre. And then, um, it took me a second. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like two feet in front of him. If I had just not like like a second later, yeah. I would have been hit by a car going. I mean, 60 it, really miles is, an hour. it really is the case that you were like 10, 15 feet away from yeah. this car yes. that yes. planted itself in the building. Yes, and you would think that I'd wake up in the morning and have like a new lease on life, and I'm like, I'm going to get things in order. And I'm like, I yeah. forgot yeah. that it happened. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> I mean, I woke up and I I was like sad. I've been every day. It's just been very really? traumatic. Like I in, totally forgot about it. You died right <laughs> before my eyes and yeah. then resurrected. Like mm. in the space yeah. of two like, and a half minutes, and yeah. I can't stop thinking about it. That yeah, was amazing how I did that. Yeah, <laughs> and then I gave a lecture to a couple of people who didn't. It wasn't clear that they spoke English. Yeah, but I was talking to them all as a group, and yeah. it was pretty amazing. I yeah. wish I had like a video of that. Yeah. But there's at some point um, I felt bad about it because somebody texted me. And that's where I was and what I was doing. And I was like, I think the best thing to do is just to film this woman on the ground with her, uh, with oh, her body suit on. Did you film it? I, I didn't send it. I felt bad about it. But I didn't feel bad about it really because she was wasted. Yeah, she nearly killed you. She was wasted and she nearly killed me. Yeah. I mean, I should have like put that all over as a, like a PSA. Yeah. Against drunk driving and wearing body suits. Well, the reason, the reason for that digression, ladies, <laughs> that was more and, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. um, and you know, they's and these are whatever. Z's. I don't know. But the reason for that digression is because you should value your life oh, God. and your time together and your fellow humans, Joel the people Austin you care Parker. about, because you never know how little time you might really have together. And it is finite. And it's important to be cognizant of that. Can we edit that bit out? Yeah, I think so.
No, uh, we'll just put in a, absolutely uh, an ad for Ben Carson's uh, <laughs> gifted <laughs> hands. Yeah. Gifted hands. Yeah. We'll tell the story yeah. of the, the time I maybe didn't stab a kid in the sternum and he like almost died. Oh, yeah. But yeah. the belt buckle saved his yeah, life. Yeah, the belt buckle saved his life. And then we can't life. actually find the kid who I supposedly stabbed. Oh, yeah. 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 No, yeah. it's a total lie. But, yeah. you know. I should actually email his, his agent about Magic Fingers. <laughs> that the next book. This next book. <laughs> I mentioned that last time. I really thought it was called that. Because it's like he's a very, very yeah. deft fingers in because yeah. he's a surgeon, right? Brain surgeon. And I thought he was, it was called Magic did you, Fingers. Hey, did you know that healing, he uh, separated hands. conjoined twins? The first one. He did. Yeah. At birth. Could you imagine, by the way, if like you were the parents now? I'm like, okay, we have this guy. <laughs> and like, just look him up on the internet. I'm like, like you're going to have him Do cut my kids apart. Kid. Yeah. You're like, yeah, no, him. Yeah. The, the guy, that guy, the one that looks like he's asleep on Fox Business talking about Hitler. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, the, that HUD, be good. the HUD guy. The HUD guy. Yeah. yeah. The HUD guy. And he has portraits of himself in a bathrobe in his, so in his house with the misspelled proverb oh, yeah, on the fireflies right. mantle. That's Remember right. that? Wait, yes, is that true? Oh, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah he no. had like a house, like a shelter porn sort of spread mm. in some uh, magazine. No, his house is, McMansion is it's absolutely fantastic. Oh. It's yeah. really the best thing about him. Yeah. It's like Cribs worthy. Yeah. 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 I have to go hilarious. see this. It's not like a museum. No, I have to go see the video. He has it's himself as Jesus, like in a bathroom. Yes, like yes, a Hilton yeah. that says like Hilton on the, actually have the, it on, amazing. the on the robe. Because you would think One you would those. tell the painter like, hey, could you just like just not? Mm. I stole it, so just don't tell right. everyone that. Just take the Hilton off. Yeah, it's a little too literal with that. Camille, how many times did you shake his hands as a? Ben, how many times did I meet him as a young Adventist? Yeah, I don't know, but a few. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it's wow. the thing that you do. You go to the Adventist Book Center in Tacoma Park. Shout out Tacoma Park. Mm. And uh, you you meet Ben Carson and you have him autograph the books that your mom requires <laughs> you to read on the weekends. He's just there all the time. Well, no, it's just like regular book signings. Who's, who's like the who's yeah. like the number two? Is like the long the number drop two Adventist celebrity? Yeah, in, is it in, like a, in America? Is it pretty big? I think drop it was off? probably me. I don't know. <laughs> 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 Presidential candidate Camille Foster. <laughs> hey, hey, there are people who want that. I know. Yeah. I know. There's smart, you get you few smart people. You can be the number two Adventist. Yeah, as like you know, <laughs> now it's like you know the guy that like remixed the Cypress Hill record or something. That's like the number two Adventist. You should uh, you should uh, go with uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who according to Hillary Clinton is uh, now going to do the third party because of Russia. Oh, yeah. God, so many things we should talk about. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I we could talk about the news of the day. We could talk about the the democratic election and all of these other things. Um, or we could talk about our splendid guest Megan and mm-hmm. her exciting new book and the various ways that we all have some sort of background in history with you because I believe you and Matt know yes. each other and have known yes. each other for some time. We go way back. Way. Way, yeah. way, way back. back. Is it LA Times did, did I ever edit you? I don't think. No, no I don't but think I, I was on the editorial board. Yes. I was, Good. I did a, a temporary stint on the LA Times editorial board. So that's oh, yeah, what we were on, on together. They yes. used to do these little, uh, like four month rotations. Yes. I was a visiting, a visiting editorial fellow. boardist. Yes. And a um, columnist there, an essayist. Yes, I was a, yeah, I was a columnist there for a long time. And then I sort of, they put me, they made 
I did double duty for a period of time. But yeah, we should definitely talk all about me because I have nothing to say about the the news of the day, the uh, <laughs> the events that you had. Uh, As a listener, lined you up. might have noticed I, uh, that neither do we. I, uh, <laughs> I tried to think of something uh, to add, but uh, it's, well, it's I, been I, all about me the last couple of days. I, I will start off because it was something, um, and I just this is funny. And it's okay I, if you didn't read the book because I, I mean I, I don't expect anyone to, <laughs> to have. So it's fine. Good about she, that. She, I don't, really you don't have you don't have to. It's totally safe. About ten it. pages into it, and sent it windmilling across yep. the room um, <laughs> and discussed. Um, no, this is a caught my eye. I opened it up, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Because you know, in DC, the famous thing is a book comes out, and you look in the index to see if you're in it. Oh, I didn't do that. But it's I designed looked, to be randomly open to any page. So and I read, opened so. it up, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Camille and I are both in this book. So, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Really? So uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, you didn't even know. I, I didn't really write. Um, it. I, mean, I should talk to your assistant ghost, more often. I, I'm going to pick up the sentence and. In uh, in uh, in mid sentence, he uh, was of Jamaican descent oh. and challenged a statement Moynihan ma- had made about America being quote a model of ethnic cooperation. And I said, "Good God, uh-huh. she knows all about us." I read further; <laughs> it's apparently not about us <laughs> and about a Jamaican woman who was offended by Daniel Patrick Moynihan <laughs> at the university that. She I got a little pan. I got a little panicked. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Did I write the whole book on yeah. Ambien?" Yeah. And I don't remember anything I wrote. <laughs> that's right. Deep cut. Tell, yes. us, tell us about that chat because that's from ages ago yeah. when you were in college at Vassar. Yeah. So that, yeah. I was in college at Vassar and in uh, nineteen. 19- 89, there was this incident, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was the senator from New York at yeah. that time, uh, was, he had gotten some honorary chairship, so he was brought into the college to give a speech. And he was, you know, champion liberal, of course, let's not forget. And uh, there was a reception, he gave a speech, and it was about something or other, you know, politically approved. And... Uh, you know, perfectly, perfectly acceptable. Yeah, and there was like this wine and cheese reception afterward. And this, there was an activist. She was not part of the college. She was um, a local activist from Poughkeepsie. And she said, she challenged him on some issue. And uh, he ended up, there was a sort of altercation as everyone was standing around sipping their wine. And he said something like, why don't you just go back to where you came from? Or oh. something like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he then denied saying He this, denied, well, yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, he might have had a little bit to drink. Yeah. Um, it's very even arrived. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, I think to say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, he's... Last Irish person. Last name Moynihan. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so anyway, the, this and then and, and then their students. It just it like and it's so interesting because this was not recorded. This was eighty nine. There were no cell phones. And no, nobody really knows what happened. And um, it, this just sort of erupted into this big like you know racial fracas. And, and it really coincided with a whole bunch of students had wanted like a whole bunch of other uh, initiatives you know yeah. discussed and accomplished. And yeah. so they decided to use this incident um, as a platform to sort of shut down the school and and talk about how uh you know the, the president of the college was racist to have brought in this racist mm-hmm. uh Moynihan and, mm-hmm. and it's now the Moynihan report is considered a racist document. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. But yeah. at the time this was like a sort of sixty five that came out, you know. Yeah. But that yeah, of course this right. is nineteen eighty nine when That's this right. happened, right? Yeah. So but you know what was interesting, there was like that was the first 
time I had sort of seen my peers engaged in what I thought was sort of a performative activism. I mm-hmm. mean, it was very minor, really. Yeah. There, nobody was quite sure what they were upset about, but the, the theater of it was quite exciting for so everybody. So when I read this, I, and I'm going to ask Matt this because it's, um, Camille's a little younger than us, not too much, but he's younger than us. Hmm. You, um, kind of went to college and at your college in UC Santa Barbara, do you remember a similar type thing happening? Oh my God. Yes. Uh, so I was yeah. a freshman there. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, I think a little bit older than Megan, but I, I went to there in 1986 as a freshman. Uh, and right away and our, we had a great uh, student newspaper. It's why I got into journalism, but there was a screening of blue velvet and <laughs> huh. it became a controversial screening why? of blue velvet uh, because uh, everyone loved – UCSB has a great film school, really, really good. Um, uh, and But at the same time, there's a, sort of a, a surge, a rise of kind of um, both feminism and, and rape awareness. We're talking about Isla Vista here. So there's a lot of like date raping going on, mm-hmm. like on a kind of uh, uh, on a daily basis back then. It was a, it was pretty uh, a bad scene. Um, so the, uh, all these things are kind of mashing up and uh, feminists are getting really pissed off. Like we can't we can't have – this thing show up and everybody at our newspaper we had some really interesting ba- because ba- of the sexual content right? because i mean uh, blue velvet if you like yeah. close your eyes and think about it there's a lot of like naked bloody bruised isabella rossellini walking down yeah, the yeah. street yeah. and like and like staying with the people that beat the shit out of her and and wishing that kyle mclaughlin would do that too mm-hmm. as well it's a, it's a really messed up and it's a wonderful movie that's and so a- interesting so like their worship of david Lynch, like sort of gen x worship of david lynch did not override well, the was, rape culture message it, it was it it was a legitimate conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the free speech side won. But it was the first time that a lot of people who had fashioned themselves and, and just thought that free speech was a – we didn't really say progressive back then, but it was a liberal right. thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and that the transgressors were always going to be on the left fighting the forces on the right. It was kind of the first sign that, no, there's some left-bent uh, stuff here there too. There was intra-fighting. <laughs> and yeah. I, I covered a, a few of these things, and the, the one that I remember the most was – there's a local uh, uh, shitty little uh, beer shop called SOS Liquor, and um, there was a St. Pauli. Great name, by the way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I live right next to it, and, you know, it's uh, apropos. Um, and they had a St. Pauli Girl poster, and mm. I don't know if Camille remembers St. Pauli. I remember St. Pauli Girl. Right, yeah. so it's just yeah. like, you know, later hosen and overalls over big boobs, and here's, yeah. your, here's your beer. Nothing wrong with that. Ponytails, pigtails. Uh, and... Uh, uh, this kind of group uh, called, I think you can't keep a good woman down, uh, was the name of the the feminist group. Came in. <laughs> what was the acronym for that? Did uh, it, did yeah. it, yeah. Like, it was called like? I think it's WYSIWYG. <laughs> they hadn't thought it through. Uh, came in and. Uh, I think some, and some were topless too. Uh, came in and because uh, you know whatever uh, no, and good. tore down the posters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I remember the most, and I think I mentioned this uh, when I wrote about Moynihan, your experience at Evergreen, mm-hmm. um, and your your absolutely bone chilling uh, interview with the college president or whatever the hell he is there, in which he couldn't like yeah. just say no, I'm not a white supremacist. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the kind of terrified to say the obvious thing. This very kind of Stalinist and, and just mentality. To interject with me, I posted uh, two more clips of that on my Instagram page. Um, and uh, both of them were these weird things in which he wasn't sure if a student got offended. So he was describing the rumble in the jungle. I don't know if you watch this where he said, you know, what I'm doing is this. It's like, you know, Muhammad Ali allowing George French to punch him out. And I said, so you're rope-a-doping? And he said, I didn't say that. You said that. Oh, my, oh my God. God. I was like, I was like, I can see your friend about the word. Is that like rope you're worried about? 
And then I said, the rhyming, um, totally, I was totally <laughs> serious. And I said, so you've been kind of wargaming a response. And he's like, those weren't my words. Those were your words. And it was like Nathan Thurm, the Martin Short character. And I was like, oh, my God. Really? And, I, and I looked at him. I was like, you know, it's just a figure of speech, you know. But, yeah, this, there's a, a, a total fear that you're so going the to guy, offend So the guy who ran the liquor store, who's obviously a piece of garbage, like selling beer to, to meatheads in Isla Vista, is not – uh, a noble uh, it's not a noble <laughs> job and he's, he like was like 45 or something like horrendously old age uh and uh looked like a a, a pervert and uh they they frog marched him into the student body council which was so super hippie that the, Wait, they asked him to come in yeah to like just to like to to, to talk or maybe and he's he, not even part of the college community he's a he's an outside he's a person yes, in the town he's, he's and they still campus. he is forced to come in i don't to think this he, maybe tribunal. maybe he volunteered to come okay, in because he right. wanted to like make nice because people were because <laughs> yeah. the students were pro and okay. ripping off posters and he came in and and it was one of the most insincere jobs i've ever seen but he like totally sold it he leaned into it he's like you've 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 wiped the film off my eyes i just want to thank <laughs> you for for letting me know that i i've been participating in the misogyny and it's like dude you're selling beer with like boob posters and you always will and like two weeks from now you're going to do it again and of course he did uh but like it, it it said to me right there that these the free speech fights are going to happen on the left yeah and it was like the first rumblings it, of it, it really. yeah wow. in, the, in the early days not early days but in those days i mean you have the emergence of the kind of uh andrea dworkin catherine mckinnon's strand of feminism the, the anti-porn strand of feminism which is a lot closer when you read this stuff to like you know ralph reed and christian conservative stuff and that's like wait you yep. guys are on that side horseshoe theory yeah and it was it was it was strange to me and the reason i asked you that and pointed that out uh to you Megan, beyond the fact that i thought it was about uh, camille and myself <laughs> um <laughs> is that you know we often forget this this kind of thing that there was a free speech movement with, uh, what's his name, Mario Marisola. Salva yeah. in uh, Berkeley in like 1963, 62, et cetera. And then there's a sort of student rebellions and then a couple other things in material. And then it kind of goes PC in the early 90s. And then it, there's a period, a dormant period, and then it's crazy again. When I think back of it uh, on it, it's, it was crazy when I was in school, when you were in school. Like, I remember when I got, when I went to UMass, there was a um, big sort of groundswell against, and by the way, this is the difference between, between then and today, against the, the, um, the mascot, the Minuteman, because it was literally said it was a white man with a gun. And we and like that kind of language. You'd be like, oh, that's crazy. And you say that in 2019, that it's crazy. But it was going on then. And it was the Boston Globe covered it. And it was a big thing. And they made these concessions, but they kept the thing. So I think it was if it was now, they wouldn't actually keep the Minuteman. And that's right. Wow. Buckle. But you realize that there has been that transfer in times like 86. And it happens in, you know, or 89 for Megan, 86. For, and then for me, it was like 92, 93. Yeah, early like 90s was very big for it this was very kind big. of thing. And then we realized that, that you know, there's that lull and all of those people that were responsible for this stuff all became professors <laughs> and yeah. they're now all in faculty and in administration and that's why it happens in the way that it does now i think i, I this is in a sort of bulletproof theory but it's like all of these people have graduated into being the adjunct faculty the actual faculty the administrators and the rest of it and you see it too with like you know the weather underground is a great example of this speaking of extreme nutbags the number of those people who are college professors 
or people that were involved in SDS who are college professors, like almost all of them, like Mark Rudd, who shut down Columbia. He's like a math professor or something. But there's all down the line. All these people are professors, you know, uh, at Columbia, where I know that you're an adjunct, um, you know, a teacher's college. You have uh, a, a former terrorist who went to prison for, you know, for these types of crimes. Um, and when I think it was I might have been the Brinks robbery, too, which was the the. Uh, um, the remnants of the weather underground. But the thing is, is that it's not a new thing. And we yeah. talk about this a lot as if it's a new thing. I think that differences now is that the responses of it are, are much more craven and much more sort of jelly spined that when they make demands like, like this guy, uh, uh, George Bridges at Evergreen was trying to find things to give them. You know, he was like, if they wanted, you know, like, like free uh, cab rides to the bars or something, he would have said yes. Or oh, the, find, the, poli- the, the police, I mean, the, the town police was uh, yeah. was on the side of the, was not protecting Weinstein, right? I yeah, mean, he, yeah. the, 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 and Bridges, it, 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 Bridges it, it, sanctioned that. I and mean, they, yeah, and they went after the campus police, because it is state, right, it's a state right, university. Right. And it was this a woman who was uh, running the police force. And... You know, it, there's like there's oppression envy going on in a lot of these places. Like they made up these stories that the police were like brutalizing people. There was like three bozos on campus, and there was a woman who was the head of the police force, and they wanted to disarm the cops. They said we have to disarm them, and it's like you know, thus neutering the cops as like a, as an actual force. And I, I mean, you can say they have it in England, but you know, they, they at least have some cops with guns. Um, so yeah, this is like they were trying desperately to just push these people off campus. And they were creating these narratives that, um, you know, when I, there's a famous picture that, uh, that was posted on Instagram and somebody found and, and posted it when right after this happened of this gang of kids um, with baseball bats. And so that was picture was taken the day I was in their apartment. So I went to their apartment, which was a complete disaster, by the way. Uh, not, you know, that it was like junkie. It was a disaster communicating with me because at the beginning they, they sanctioned me for saying, Hey guys. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they're, I told this story. Yeah. You. No, no, mm-hmm. they were not punking me. And I, and, and uh, they said, we prefer y'all. And then I think I told uh, you the joke that, that uh, fell flat. Can I, I said, say something about y'all? Like yeah. why, isn't that kind of like racist? I said it's cultural person? appropriation. I mean, I'm sorry. Culture. I feel yeah. like y'all is now being used like, I see it on Twitter all the time, and I feel like it's like on black Instagram, people on are using where, it, and like white. I don't, I don't. Where know. are you from originally? Maybe? I'm from. Well, I'm sort of from all over the place. But I, I was born in California, and I grew up in um, in Austin, Texas, and in New, New Jersey. Well, so. I mean, it, the I Cal- used to say y'all as a child when I was a Texan, right? And yes. in, in my part of Southern California, we would say y'all too, mm-hmm. um, as like an Iowan slash Houstonian black thing is all sort of mixed up in in uh in uh in long beach culture mm-hmm. like y'all was just it's normal like mm-hmm. it, that's it's hard to not to say y'all interesting yeah i mean it's done of course because it's it's gender neutral but, but i yeah. feel like there's something weird about saying it like i i feel like if i said it like it would just come out completely it's like, it, it, do, it is culturally appropriate i feel like if it's I like said my it. peeps hmm. it, well yeah, it also like, just sounds dumb and like awkward if i say it like if i i'm not a y'all kind of person and if I said yeah, it, it would no. you'd notice it. You'd be like, "That's yeah. a weird right, locution." Right. <laughs> no, you, you guys y'all. is totally. I mean, the the New Jersey and, and me is. I reserve my right to say you guys. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut. Yeah, you no, off, no, it's but, fine. Uh, but I, it mean to, I mean to cut uh, Moynihan off just by saying because I want to hear uh, uh, Megan's uh, take on this because it, it forms some 
backbone and some of the journeys that you've been making over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, but uh, just to that, that lull you're talking about in the kind of PC thing, I remember um, because the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education is about ready to celebrate its 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully most of us will be there, if not all of us. I, I will indeed. <clears throat> I'm, I'm on the advisory board of FIRE. Dude. Um, yeah. But I remember talking to Greg Lukianoff, their uh, a wonderful president or whatever the hell he is, mm-hmm. um, in maybe 2008, 2009. I just assumed the uh, editorship of Reason. And I said I gave the same basic like uh, history that Moynihan did, canned history. Like, boy, PC was a huge thing for a while. And then we stopped hearing about it. Maybe it's like Bill Maher got his show. And so everyone uh, stopped talking about it. Um, and he said to me, PC never died. We just stopped. It stopped being a headline generator, but it's been going just as much on college campuses. Again, this is like 2008, 9, 10. This is before the kind of woke apocalypse right. of, of 2014. Yeah. Um, but that just basically the national attention went away. It was still percolating along. So I wonder, those, yeah. so those people were getting sure. your but university jobs. But they were not jobs. on social media. I mean, I think yeah. that's the big game changer. Yeah, so the, wh- I mean, the amplification of it is really the story. Well, to your book, let, let me ask you that question, because when I see these things now, the first thing that pops into my head, and it's, it's something that we've discussed a few times, is this constant drumbeat from a certain kind of area of the blue check Twitter mark brigade um, is that it doesn't exist. It's a fake crisis. There's no real cancel culture. That wokeness is not really a, a problem in the way that uh, certain people in the, to, to use a phrase that you talk about in the book, intellectual dark web, um, mm. which I don't think any of us even are closely affiliated with. I mean, I don't, that's not something that I'm ever considered. You're myself. not, I, my, I, you're I not think, Michael Shermer emerging from the bushes? I think we're generally regarded as something like IDW adjacent. adjacent like there yes. are a lot of people who we're listen Asians. to this podcast who are huge fans of the IDW. Oh, and, sure. And we've had, no, and we've I, had people on who are, I think, explicitly yeah, members sure. of the and IDW. I don't, and I don't have any... Like Problem with it? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not as fearful of them as everybody. It's just, else I, they should change the name. I just feel like it's unfortunate that that name I, t- took off. It was it's almost unfortunate that they have a name at all, which right. is perhaps well, my biggest problem with yes. them and, and, and yours as you well. Can't I fight think. tribalism with so the tribe. But what so is it? That, yeah. It's in the book quite a bit, and you grapple with it a lot. Like, tell us a little bit about it. About the just about the, the difficulty of that in some ways. Uh, well, I mean, the, I can tell you. I can just back up and talk about the difficulty of writing this book, and that really. Answers, begins to answer your question because, you know, this started out as a book about feminism. I was just going to write a kind of like manifesto called You Are Not a Badass, like, you know, trying to get at the hypocrisies and the sort of reductive, like, you know, the future is female sort of hashtag feminism. And, you know, I, I always really thought that, you know, th- there was this sort of punching up at men kind of this kind of expression. And it was very much the sort of default rhetoric. And I was frustrated with that because it's like, well, you know, you're, you're actually handing men power that they don't have by Mm -hmm. assuming that it's okay to just rail away and talk about toxic masculinity and how, you know, the whole world is, you know, everyone's a manspreader and mansplaining. Like it's actually runs counter to any sort of like self-sufficiency or sense of self-respect in women. So I had like a kind of set of ideas really having to do with feminism. And, you know, I started thinking about all this stuff, like you said, in 2014, 2015, this is when it's all sort of burbling up. You had Emma Sulkowitz at Columbia carrying the mattress around. And a lot of the conversation around rape culture and feminism came up around that. So that would have been early 2015. So I guess I really formally started the book 
probably summer of 2016, and I assumed that Hillary Clinton would be president. So mm-hmm, I thought, it. well, no problem. Like we can, I can just write this, and it's a pretty, pretty contained, sort of discreet kind of take. And then obviously that didn't happen, and uh, I, you know I wrote a whole draft of the book, and and it but that was what changed the focus of the book. Yeah, so I wrote a draft, and it wasn't really working. And then I just you know it, it was so clear that it wasn't just about feminism; it was about this kind of you know wokeness culture in general. No, but the tricky thing is like I'm a white chick, so mm-hmm. you know what am I really allowed to write about? I can't you know by the by the very rules that I am critiquing, I still have to I find myself trying to obey them. And uh, I have to sort of focus my uh, critique. Um, yeah, the book is it. It talks about it. Really branches out of the women discussion, but you know, I think in the end, it is it is rooted in that. I can't. I I, I do not talk about uh, transgender issues. I don't talk a lot about race. I talk a little bit, um, but I but just do you felt not that, talk about transgender issues because it's not really your field. Or well, is I it, would love to talk about it, but, but I don't but you think, think you can. You know, look, I I can tell you, I did. There are. I, this is a short book. I probably wrote four times as much material. It, mm. it was like writing backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would write five pages and then delete ten pages. It was completely maddening. I mean, it was just like whack-a-mole. Is, was, that, is that self-censorship or is it more like times are changing well, and things are Well, times are changing fast. so quickly. Yeah. You're trying to write about something that's going on right now. I mean, I would sit there. There would be some Twitter eruption and I would spend five days trying to capture it. And then the next week I'd be like, who cares? Like, mm-hmm. this doesn't matter. You know, I had a whole bunch of stuff about James Damore, the Google engineer who wrote the, the memo about mm-hmm. hiring practices, diversity hiring, and are women mm-hmm. – are, can women be coders and all these questions about male and female brains and and capabilities and I thought that stuff was really fascinating and at the end of the day we didn't include it in the book just because I think that that would have been the only thing anybody talked about in terms of the book and I didn't want to hijack the the, the book itself with these other things so it's really it, so the tone of the debate dictates what goes into the book in a well way. the book I mean I could have sat here and wrote written about like oh I'm tired of of trigger warnings and, you know, I'm tired of these, of of this rhetoric, but uh, like a lot of people have done that. And I really ultimately wanted it to be about my own journey as an aging Gen Xer and, and my own sense of conflict around this. Cause Mm -hmm. it's not an argument. The book is not an argument. It's Mm -hmm. a self interrogation. And to be clear about that for readers, I mean, for listeners who haven't read it because it comes out on Tuesday is that the book is about you. It's not like a polemical book. No, I'm not a polemicist. A collection of essays about politics. No, it's not a collection of essays and it's, it's really, it's like a memoir slash manifesto slash Mm -hmm. extended rumination. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very Gen X book. You know, the framing is, I I was born in 1970, so I grew up right alongside second wave feminism. So I was three years old when when abortion became legal in 1973. I remember 1982, sitting in the kitchen with my mother, listening to NPR, hearing that the Equal Rights Amendment was dead, and I remember her being really sad about that. And and you know, I was talking about that. But I also, you know, growing up in the 70s and the 80s. It never occurred to me as a girl that I was any lesser than any boy. In fact, the girls were better than the boys. There was really a sense that we were doing better in school. And, and you know, by the time I got to college, there were more women in college than men. I got out of college and, you know, where women are buying their own real estate. They're just sort of like moving and grooving in a way that, that men weren't. So, you know, fast forward a couple decades and we find ourselves, you know, 20, 2010, 2011, and the default 
uh, the, the, the premise of the discussion around women is that we're this underclass. And it was just strange to me. And I was instead of saying, oh, this is terrible that we're talking about this, I wanted to say, OK, how did we get here and, and what are the conditions? And I really I have ultimately come to the conclusion that growing up as a Gen Xer, we are ha- the conditions of our lives were really different than people who grew up a little bit later. Like we just did not have the same kind of kind of stimulation in the 70s and the 80s. If anything, I think growing up in the 70s as a kid, it was like a really androgynous time to be a kid. Like, do you remember this? It was like... There, there certainly weren't any bras, if that, if there that were, makes a difference. <laughs> no one's mom wore a bra. No one's no, mom was there. there. Well, that's the thing. And then, and also, you know, you did not have the, the pink and blue toy aisles in the toy stores. It was like everybody kind of watched the Bad News Bears. Yeah, exactly. and, yeah, and to and be a Bad girl... Bad News Bears was the first thing yes, I was and to be yeah. a, And Zoom and and free to be you and I know Camille's just like what are you talking about I have no, I have no idea stuff. I, the runaways the, yeah. they all I, no, there the was age. there yeah. was a a sort of sense that it was cool to be tough to be a girl you want to be a tomboy I don't think it's any accident that the biggest child movie star of the 70s was Jodie Foster mm-hmm. and Tatum O'Neill and well and the biggest ch- child television star was Christy McNichol so yeah, Christy McNichol sure. and Jodie Foster both big lesbians now mm-hmm. and that right. was that was like what you wanted to be mm-hmm. as a girl mm-hmm. and so I think that as a as a Gen Xer maybe when I started thinking about all this I was not really sensitive enough to the degree to which things have changed. And I think millennial women have had to contend with a lot of stuff that we didn't have to. We, we did not have online pornography. Um, I think there may be elements to sexual situations that younger people are getting into that we didn't have to deal with. So I've kind of come around to, to really being more, um, more generous in my, more generous in my critique, let's say. Put I, I want to carry uh, with you, that doesn't make sense, I know, but uh, through the uh, Gen X stuff, since I'm of the same uh, generation, uh, you know, I think about it in terms of music. So you had like Nirvana comes in and they're like a feminist uh, punk rock band, punk pop band at some level. Like they're out, Kurt Cobain's playing in a dress. Right. Um, you know, they're making fun of the kind of meatheadedness and super like uh, bro sexualness of the hair metal that came before them. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Ironically, one as one particular song which became like an anthem of like you know bros all over the place. Yeah, uh, and I, I once had a, a very uh, uh, funny uh, conversation, uh, and this sounds like name dropping, and it is with mm-hmm. uh, Chris Novoselic because uh, mm-hmm. I was making these points to him as like uh, bass player of Nirvana, but... bass player uh, of Nirvana, saying because they had famous feuds with uh, Axl Rose, especially Kurt Cobain and Axl Rose, and uh, and I don't think I'm talking out of turn when I say that uh, Chris said that. Yeah, you know what? Um, our vibe, we, we thought of ourselves as super feminists, but like we were dressed like lumberjacks and those dudes were like wearing makeup and blow drying their hair. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should think twice about like, you know, patting ourselves in the back too much here. But still, like the 90s. But the girls dressed like lumberjacks. <clears throat> there yeah. was, we were not hypersexualized right. at all. And there, and there was like this sort of riot girls thing yeah. and, and, and great like, uh, like, uh, uh grunge and, and, uh, punk rock, uh, uh, like. And particularly, by the way, where Nirvana came from, as like, in particularly yeah. the Olympia, Washington yes. scene. No, yes. I mean, Courtney Bikini Love, Kill was and incredible. Yeah. And and all those like guys. That, yeah. And it, it didn't occur to me, and I think maybe it never has occurred to me, and maybe and maybe you will educate me about uh, the millennials here, because I'm kind of with you. Like, uh, yeah, you know, in, in college in the late 80s in California, when you walk into the newspaper the first time and you say girls and, they, and everyone says women, you know, so, OK, there's a little bit of retraining that goes on there that's a little bit kind of uh, in your face. But for the most part, it felt like 
being a 20 something person in the 90s, like we're not going to have a big problem here. Like people my age don't wake up thinking that women can't do stuff. No. Um, it was my impression. And I, I wonder if I was naive or if there's if, you know, uh, online porn changes. Well, like what? Yeah. I mean, maybe we were naive, but I just I don't think that we had the the communication. We just didn't have the dissemination of opinion and information. And so we everyone just kind of like had lived experiences, as they say now. You know, there was an incident. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I I uh, lived in an apartment in, in New York and we had we always had three roommates uh, at any given time. One of whom this is I'll, I'll drop this one of whom was a struggling actress who is now Flo, the progressive insurance lady. But, oh, by really? The way, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. So Your roommate. My what? Yes. Why are we, you guys we, still cool? Yes, we are. Could We're you put us friend. in touch? Could she be on you the podcast? You want to have her on? Yeah. Wow. In, in char- she'll be in character. The on. You have to buy insurance. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> anyway, but this this. Reveal this, uh, yeah, I know. I'm giving that's, that's, an exclusive, that's an exclusive, and I will deny it. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna, we're yes. gonna bleep that, um, and to oh, get yeah, the yeah, unbleeped, yeah. you gotta subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. She's a wonderful person, wow. and uh, uh, yes, very. We're friends to this day. Anyway, but this incident did not involve her. Uh, we, had, you know. My roommate and I, we were looking for a third roommate. So, you know, this was back in the early 90s. We would just put a sign on a telephone pole saying, come, you know, we're we're holding auditions on this day. So and it was like a $500 room in this sort of sprawling apartment in Morningside Heights in Manhattan. And, you know, people would come in. And uh, this guy came in. We were in our early tw- early to mid twenties. This guy came in. He was probably in his mid thirties. We thought he was ancient. We thought he was like such a loser. Like you know, what you know, you're looking. You need to live with a roommate. You're looking for a you know apartment with these two girls. Which of course in Manhattan, that in New York, that yeah. doesn't mean anything. And he said, um, "Oh, you know, uh, I, I have an idea. Would you, you know, how about if um, I buy the groceries if you girls do the cooking?" Like, would that be a suitable arrangement, roommate arrangement for you? And we couldn't even look at each other because we were going to burst out laughing so hard. Like, we, it was so absurd. And we were, we really, like, were having to avoid each other, like, avoid eye contact. We were so embarrassed for this guy. And, oh, my God, what a, you know, just how pathetic that he would even, you know, imagine this. And, you know, he left and we fell over laughing. And, you know, I talk about this in the book. I think that... 20 years earlier, if our mothers had been in that situation, they would have been very upset and offended, especially our feminist mothers. Uh, And then 20 years on, I think 20-something girls would also be very upset Mm -hmm. and run to their computers and do a Tumblr post about it and emote and get a whole bunch of, like, Affirmation I about how terrible this is. It's company theme. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. <laughs> it's, it's just an excuse to sing. Exactly. Isn't it? It's a smooth voice. Yeah. No, this I'm is. A, it's I don't think com- Chrissy and Janet cooked for Jack, though. <laughs> no, they I don't think they did. There was some smoke stuff. But it is, it is like there's so much <laughs> anecdote these days. We're talking about Jack. What? Did you talk about Is it Jack's smokestack? What are you talking about? I don't remember Just, that. We, we can, oh my god! Sorry. No. Yeah. Did one of those noise gates you were exactly. talking about? <laughs> Just like get it on cuts Camille's. off everything. That's yeah, Justin Camille's register. It's a plug-in that we just sell go back to shut up to people who listen here. to. Yeah. You can put the plug-in on your phone. Just, you just cut yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say the like kind of crazy like with the dissemination of information as it is on Twitter, etc. It's the great anecdote culture. 
when things happen to you, and mm-hmm. particularly with race, because Camille points these things out a lot. And I remember talking about your favorite writer, Ta-Nehisi Coates, mm. and in his book, someone runs into him in the subway, yeah, and yeah. this is a great sort of racial event for him. Mm-hmm. Which most- totally reminded me of the anecdote that Megan has. Oh, yeah. right. oh runs into him physically. Uh, physically. Not no, runs into him. Oh, my God, son. are you Ta-Nehisi Coates? Yes. A white woman I, bumps his son in the train station. Story. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, stuff that not only, you know, probably would have just been dismissed as, you know, the the kind of heaving New York subway and people are pouring off of the actual car. Right. Uh, to, you know, an anecdote in a book to something that I see constantly on Twitter. This is what happened to me today. Right. Sometimes with video evidence, sometimes without. But it's these personal anecdotes that prove these greater points about how sort of racially backwards we are, how patriarchal we are, and you know, all the sort of things that you would expect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I, I can't, I don't, um, I don't remember those types of things from 20 years ago. No, there was this, that was life in the big Perhaps. city. Yeah. Like that, you, you moved to the city because you wanted to have friction. Like mm-hmm. you wanted to be tough. You wanted to exercise that. That's another thing that I, one of my pet theories is that Gen Xers fetishize toughness and millennials perhaps fetishize fairness. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either way is entirely useful. Like we, we need a little bit of each. Yeah. But I don't. I yelled at a millennial on the train the other day, by the way. That was fun. And Just apropos of nothing? No, he, he, <laughs> he, he was a little reedy guy. And he, I was with my daughter and I was carrying a monitor, like a really big one. Mm. And I had a backpack on and it was like 630. And so I was just like trying to give my daughter a seat. So I you know, blocked people out so she could sit down. And my backpack hit him and he pushed me. And I just Did turned out, yeah. And oh, I was no. like, that's kind of impressive like, for a millennial. I would think they, they would, he just he tweeted I just, about it. I just I want you to know that it was not a very good push. Um, he's, <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I that's think, why you were upset with him. Well, no, I felt bad for him. He put some man in. He it. broke his wrist when he pushed me. <laughs> I was like, good God, do you have consumption? What is wrong with you? So I turned around, and this is the, the great thing about my daughter, who's eight, is that. Um, I was, I kept my cool and I was talking to him and everything. I was mm-hmm. like, low, but I was like in his face, like really like an inch from his face. And I was just like making fun of him. Sound, and, sounds like he's keeping his cool here. Yeah, yeah. I was keeping my cool. And then he's like, he said, uh, I wasn't swearing or anything. And I, he said like, oh, you talk that way. They always say it's like, you talk that way in front of your daughter. And I said to him, my daughter <laughs> laughed. This was the best thing ever. No, because you know what I said? I, said? I literally said to him, I was like, no, 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 it's totally fine. My daughter is also very good at spotting complete fucking assholes. And, and my daughter was like, and he, just, and, and he turned around and, walked, and tried to like move off the Amen. And my, we got off the train and, and my daughter was like, that was really funny. <laughs> and so I, I tweeted, I, I texted Joanna to make sure that when Levia's version of the story came, it wasn't like too crazy. Uh, yeah. 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 Got, got out in front of it. Yeah, I was like, got out in front of that That one, doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, but that's the only thing I've had recently. But, you know, maybe the thing is, is that we've talked about this, too, is that if you have if that incident happened to me and there because like I mention this all the time is the stories in the Daily Mail, the stories on Twitter, you see all over the place. If that person was a different race and it became, you know, a violent confrontation. The headline is invariably, you know, these like white guy and punches black guy or something. And I've seen this a lot in which you read through the story and there's no even accusation 
of a racial Oh, the people aren't or... even aware that it's a story. The actual people involved in the story are like the last to know. Yeah. In yeah, some yeah. cases, <laughs> yeah. No, but I see that. I see that often. I'm just very careful because it's not only just writing these days. I'm careful about what I say everywhere, like what I do, who I interact with, and how I interact with them. It, I'm just paranoid. It's just unfortunate. There's like no looseness of interaction. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a subway story I talk about in the book, and you know this happened in the last year. I was it was maybe 11 o'clock at night. I was riding home. I live, I live up. I live in Washington Heights, and the subway was really was crowded. So as opposed to 20 years ago, there would probably have been nobody on the subway. Yeah, you get past, you get past 125th street. It would be empty, yeah. you know, and remember you would, you were dying for people to get in yeah. the car, right? Yeah. The biggest fear was that there would be nobody so they could actually on the platform. So that, yeah. right. There would be that, you know, you could be mugged with an audience. <laughs> yeah. So, but so this was a strange dynamic. So I was sitting there reading my phone and, um, there were two guys across from me, two, you know, probably 20 something white guys, um, kind of, you know, I don't, they were sort of artsy types. Um, there was this sort of gaggle of white, presumably suburban girls, maybe late teens, early twenties, kind of drunk. I don't know what they were doing going that far uptown, but they were, you know, they looked like they had been at a bridal shower or something, maybe in from Long Island and, you know, short skirts and this, guy gets on the train. I don't know. Presumably he's homeless, presumably mentally ill. Obviously don't know for sure, but (laughs) presumably um, black guy. And he starts kind of trying to interact with people. And he's I don't know if he's he was he was panhandling, was just kind of talking to people. And he gets up in my face and he started talking to me and, you know, says something about, oh, your blonde hair or something. And he was trying to ask for money. He was trying to engage me. And I was kind of like, you know, no, thanks. You know, move on. And then these girls started interacting with him and he's flirting with them and they're flirting back and they think this is like a real novelty like oh look at us we're so excited that you know we're kind of flirting with this guy he's a really wiry guy he sits down with them they're having this whole conversation people on the train are kind of rolling their eyes like what's going on here and he finally gets off at one point and they're like good night good night goodbye you know kind of air kissing him and he goes have a great night and he walks past me and he gets right in my face and he goes you have a fucked up night Wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 And I actually laughed because I thought yeah. have a fucked up night. It's kind of great. Kinda good, yeah. Brilliant. And, um, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, whatever, yeah. you know, and he gets up and the two guys across from me, the two young white guys said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry <laughs> that you had to experience that. And I said, well, you know, whatever. It's fine. Like, it's whatever. amazing. Someone and, said the same thing to me when I got off the train. And, and, yeah, and, uh, and, ago, and they yeah. were like, oh my gosh, like, I just, we're just so sorry. And they were, they were, they were apologizing on behalf of the patriarchy that was somehow represented by this mentally ill homeless guy. It it made absolutely no sense. It was like this triangulation. There was me. There were these like young white suburban girls. There were these woke guys across from me. And, you know, this had nothing to do with like the mental health system and just the whole wounded city. No, they narrowed it right down to the patriarchy. Are are you sure that that's why they were saying that? I got the sense. No, for the purposes of my discussion. Yes, I'm quite certain. Well, no, 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 I I want you to be white Tanahasi Coates. We we have to to color things in. (laughs) This is how narratives work. They were done. Definitely, but no, I. They were certainly feeling like whatever had happened was 
uh, a colossal violation. Yeah. And, and also really, that she would be traumatized. That that would she's, be, she's vulnerable And that this here. was somehow abnormal. I mean, it's the kind of thing that in 1995 happens every single time yeah. you are murders. on the subway. Like, right every year. single time. I want to return to the sort of the fundamental theme of the book, this tension between sort of the youngsters who are super woke and yourself yeah. who is a bit more skeptical of that wokeness because it reminds me of myself, um, but also I'm, I'm thinking about our mutual acquaintance, friend, Thomas Chatterton Williams, who also has a book that was recently released, uh, Self-Portrait in yep. Black and White. Fantastic book. Um, Unlearning Race is the subtitle. And I love that book so much. I love Thomas. He's a great guy. And um, I had the privilege of reading that book back in December. But when I was reading um, parts of your book, I could hear Thomas in the way that he talks about race oftentimes. And yes. the, the way in which the wokesters tend to talk about white supremacy in a way that that gives it this sort of supernatural character um, and that makes it the most important thing. And that seems to me to be the thing that is is most concerning to him. Yes. Um, that 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 over concern is yep. perhaps the error that they ought to be correcting for. And I hear you articulating a similar sort of criticism of feminism. You say in one respect that you appreciate the the kind of critique that they're offering and the sense in which, well, yeah, you shouldn't have to live in a world where you feel threatened. But even while you're finding some common ground there, you do find yourself on a side, so to speak, in these culture wars. Do you not? And it's or do you shocking. imagine that you don't find well, yourself on Well, I mean, I still consider myself a liberal, but I've been called center-right lately, and it's just... And I guess I, I think you're I, a moderate scold. I think I'm, a, I'm definitely a moderate. Yes, I'm a moderate scold. But we knew that. We knew that. <laughs> um, I I'm a pearl clutching. I, I enjoy clutching my pearls. To a BuzzFeed review that yes, came out I got today a fantastic review of BuzzFeed week. to just today, just a few seriously, hours ago. Seriously, one of the worst written things. Mm. Oh, you got to get out more, Matt. There's a really. <laughs> I try not to read. <laughs> We're gonna get to that. Okay, yeah. go on. Because uh, there's an end of this show segment that we have called "Some Idiot Wrote yeah. This," <laughs> <laughs> and I have one today. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm really worried as a feminist that we have sort of undermined the whole project. There's a real obsession with men and mm -hmm. what, and what men are doing and saying. And I just, it's, it's interesting that at this very moment when women are outpacing men in all kinds of ways, mm -hmm. uh, we have returned to this narrative that we have never been in worse condition than ever. You know, right. Thompson Reuters did a survey, the top 10 most dangerous countries for women in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, India, Pakistan, Somalia, the United States was number 10 on the list. Get Astonishing. Yeah, and, this, and this got picked up in the media and they had polled 500 uh, sort of experts in women's issues globally to to compile this data and when they went back and asked well how did the united states end up on list this on this list they said well in this era of me too we just thought it was important to acknowledge that uh being a wealthy country doesn't make you uh, immune to harassment it's like well i that's a data point yeah. it's it's absurd and the fact is nobody believes this but this kind of thing gets clicks and it sells like you're actually selling paranoia mm -hmm. and you're selling a paranoia that nobody believes you're you're actually branding hypocrisy. Hmm. So I, I just I find that 
um, really depressing as a person and also as a journalist and as a thinker. There are so many people just jumping into this narrative that really don't believe it deep down. But I guess it's just expedient. Selling paranoia that nobody believes is in addition to being a very economically uh, put uh, I just thought statement. of it now. So I'm going to go home and be like, actually, that doesn't make any sense but, at all. But do you think that's right, that nobody believes it? Well, because I'm, I find smart myself people increasingly... Do. Okay, some stupid people do. <laughs> I find myself increasingly convinced yeah, that there that's are true. a lot of people who believe it. And perhaps it's just the fact that I, I live in Brooklyn. I overhear conversations about white supremacy and the patriarchy. They sound sincere yeah, and they seem to mean it. They seem to believe that that everyone who is somewhat skeptical of this stuff, who is of a particular racial background, is a racist. On the wrong side of history. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to revise that. I think you're right. I think uh, there's a significant portion of people who do believe it. And and smart. smart I know. And and smart, smart people. people, Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what they're getting out of it. It mostly comes from, quote unquote, smart people. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the bad ideas of the 20th century came from the smartest people, supposedly. Right. But, you know, I mean, it's it is it's interesting to me because they the people who really believe this stuff and you know of course there's some elements to truth to certain aspects of it but then taken as this kind of collective thing the data points that are used are much like the poll that you cite that aren't really data points so i saw a story the other day um you know widely retweeted and widely discussed of a um i don't know who is doing the counting but it said the, the headline was you know hollywood still as sexist as ever and they were counting the minutes that women got for speaking roles on screen. <laughs> and that was proof of something. Mm-hmm. And what I think what this stuff does, this desperation to work backwards and prove the point that you have sort of percolating in your head and someone's told you is true. Like it just really encourages lazy thinking. Yeah. I mean, you've we, we've talked about this with um, with, you know, the Oscars so white and mm-hmm. this stuff of, and the way people count this stuff and think that, you know, I mean, it would be as if I were to say that the criminal justice system is sexist against men because most of the people in prison are men. That's mm-hmm. not why it happens, yeah. right? There's so causation it, and correlation. Is Yeah, I mean, no, this, it's been collapsed no in a lot boundary. of ways. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Like, you see this, like, you're just counting numbers. The number of people here, there's not enough. And, you know, I told you about this, you know, kids thing. I think I sent you a picture of it, of a kid's lesson um, here in New York City of, you know, are comic books racist, are this? Mm-hmm. And they were just, and they would have the kids just count I mean, it's a crazy thing to me to look at these kids in classes with comic books open and, you know, clips on YouTube counting the race and the gender of people on screen Mm -hmm. strikes me as like slightly sinister. Mm -hmm. But the problem, the biggest problem with it is the conclusions that they're told to draw from this just by raw numbers. That means the conspiracy is real. And you wonder, too, like, is this because things ultimately really have never been more equal? We've never had more opportunity. Women have never had more opportunities, been freer, been safer. And yet we've constructed this notion that we're in peril. So I talk about in the in the late 80s, early 90s, there was all the satanic preschool panic, yes, right? And, right? And the the razors and the Halloween candy and uh, mm. the um, the uh, re- recovered memory syndrome. That was a huge mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, you know, there was uh, someone I was just talking about. There was apparently a study in Psychology Today or something that like 20 percent of psychologists surveyed at one point 
were saying, oh no, Psychology Today was saying that 20% of women had actually been molested by their fathers, but just didn't remember it. Yeah. Like that kind of idea. I, yeah, I mean, and I'm, I don't, you know, you might fact check me on this because I'm, I'm remembering reading this or, or talking about this with somebody, but like that kind of idea was really floating around. And I don't think it's any accident that it coincided with women going back into the, into the workplace. So mm. you had in the eighties, you had white middle class, upper middle class mothers going to work. They were putting on their Nike running shoes with their power suits and their briefcases and, you know, being Melanie Griffin and getting on the Staten Island Ferry and Mm -hmm. going to work. And obviously poor women had always gone to work. But this sort of sense that Oh, no, you don't. Like, your your children are in peril. You can't leave them alone. They right. can't go to preschool. They're going to be latchkey children. Watch, watch what you do. And that was actually coming from women themselves. It was like a subconscious self-sabotage. So some, sometimes I wonder if we're doing so well right now that we almost have to create a crisis. And that's and, and what a lot clear, of this is. just to be clear, by the way, about the crisis, that the actual victims of that crisis were not only the kids, but people went to prison. Oh, uh, McMartin. The, the, oh, the, appalling. The, appalling. The Amaralt family. And, and the McMartin. The, McMartin yeah, preschool. The Amaralt, and it was yeah. the Felsacre School in Massachusetts. And, and yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty dark time. And it comes up here and there. I mean, you saw it in, in England where they, they're now investigating how they were all taken in by this person who said that there was a pedophile ring in Parliament where people were killing kids on like stone altars like Tory ministers. And I seem to be the only one that said, you know, this is kind of bullshit, right? And well, we've seen this Well, people thought Pizzagate was mm-hmm. real. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people thought people thought that. Yeah. It's, so, not, it's not past well, that's because, yeah. it, that's because it is real. Well, there, and there was, uh, <laughs> did you did you happen to see that piece in the New York Times the other day about, uh, uh, you know, white supremacists, the alt-right is coming after your teenage boys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, that was another uh, uh, Somebody wrote this. Yeah, somebody wrote that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny because I actually tweeted something. Uh, you know, the idea was that all these teenage boys are so disaffected and they're on YouTube and the algorithms of YouTube are such that, uh, you know, Pepe the Frog is is encroaching on them and they're mm-hmm. getting all these terrible influences and becoming uh, alt-right without even realizing it. And I tweeted something like, you know, this is a little bit analogous. This is sounding like satanic preschool panic. And I got a ton of likes and all this. And it was interesting because a couple people who I really respect who have teenage boys messaged me directly and they said, you know, you're wrong about that. Like that was a glib thing to say. And actually, this is a real problem. And uh, this really haunts me as a parent. And and when I thought about it more and I sort of talked to them a little bit more, it, it was really a function of this like intersectional theory stuff coming up in the education system. I mean, I know, Matt, you've you've talked about this to some degree. A little bit. Like these kids <laughs> are being told that they are the oppressor and that makes them angry and therefore vulnerable to this kind of algorithm. So, or, again, or the, a counter narrative yes. that like. A counter-heroic but, narrative. But the, and the problem is that we can't even say that. We can't even talk about it. The fact is that the intersection, misapplied intersectional theory is enabling alt-right mm-hmm. encroachment. Like, mm-hmm. that's actually what's happening. But that's too complicated to talk about. But it, it is. I find it uh, amazing that the real kind of damage that this stuff does is when you're constantly, when you say, look, 
this is the you know we, we've talked about this, you know the theory here is that that you you can't be racist if you're talking about white people in a pejorative way all the time right and I see this I I don't think a day has gone by in the past five years where I haven't seen some usually somebody with a blue check mark saying something about oh, white people this white people that and there is a cost to this there is a toll at a certain point and mm-hmm. it's not that you become you know a school shooter or one of these you know psychos at at uh, Charlottesville but just the average person gets pretty fed up with it and fed up with yeah. this idea that you are without even knowing it, no matter how good you are, no matter how hard you try, you're still this toxic, you know, your toxic masculinity your toxic whiteness, whatever, that you're still walking around the city, you know, spraying this toxicity, despite everything that you do to try to make sure that you're not doing that. And I think that there has to be I mean, it irritates a lot of people that I know. This constant thing—you're not allowed to, to. You can't fight back, or you can, but it's a bad—it's a bad decision to do so. I'm not going to get on Twitter and say, you know what? Could you stop? Like, we don't want to talk about groups in the way that you're talking about. Them. See, but, here's, but right here's the problem with that: if the smart, thoughtful people like us don't do that, then the stupid, thoughtless people are happy to step in mm-hmm. and say those things, and they're going to say them in a reductive, counterproductive mm-hmm. way. And here we are. Yeah, look, I think that one of the things, I mean, you mentioned manspreading before, and I think the difference, uh, that phrase is hilarious. I mean, I published a piece in Vice um, on the website by a Swedish female writer in like 2011 or something, like saying, can you believe this thing that's coming out of Sweden called manspreading? And it was like... What was the was, Swedish word for it? I, 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 I actually don't... I think it was manspreading. There's actually English. an Ikea's love seat <laughs> yeah, that yeah. named after There's like umlauts on a lot of <laughs> yes. things. Um, but we published it as kind of like, you know, a piss take. Like, can you believe that people are so crazy? And now, and this is, I think, the, the big difference between these phases of this stuff. Now, New York City... The MTA has an ad campaign against oh, yeah. manspreading. It mm-hmm. says, like, dude. Oh, I know. It says, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, stop the spread. Yeah. Whatever the hell it said. I think it was dude, stop the spread, something like that. And, like, this is, like, institutionalized now. And if somebody were to bring a, a similar proposal to a public transit system in L.A., for instance, they should think twice about saying no to it. Well, and they for, know that. First of all, public transit system in LA. Doesn't exist. They, they, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, a subway that no one's ever rode. You have to drive to it. The yeah. parking lot. You can't get a parking space in the uh, subway parking lot. But like, no, what you would do in New York is like, uh, you wouldn't say dude or you'd say dude to a chick. But like, uh, you know, you're putting your bag of uh, your yeah, Macy's bag, 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 bag spreading. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, Which is also illegal, by the way. Well, you know, there's another um, subway thing. I, I actually thought of you, Camille, because have you seen these things? It's like a uh, don't uh, jump the turnstile. Like, don't you know? Pay. We we would rather. We, it's funny we, that you think of Camille. Yeah. Better no no but better better <laughs> that I'm getting to this. So yeah. bet, you know we you would ra- rather pay the the subway fare than be than be fined two hundred dollars or something. Yeah. And I've seen people are writing. Um, this is racism mm-hmm. on that sign hmm. as if it's implicitly saying like it, as if it's saying, well, b- black people should just be allowed to uh, jump the turnstile. Well, I've, I've seen no, that have you sign. Seen Does the, that sign but, have a black person in no, it? No, no. The it sign itself, the sign itself, no, the sign itself doesn't have, the sign yeah. itself has nothing to do with race, but I've noticed in several places, there's some kind of like graffiti campaign, like stickers or something. And it says like this, this is racist. Hmm. The city is racist. Racist because they're starting a campaign to try to keep people from jumping the fair. You know, I, I'm and confident those stickers are being put up by some alt-right person who wants to draw oh, attention to the maybe, maybe so. racism is overused. Maybe so. But one can't know. 
because yeah. I think that the, the over-concern <laughs> related to race has mm-hmm. created any number of genuine controversies right. that seem like they are completely ridiculous. Like the guy who got fired um, uh, because he says to a kid who says to him, hey, nigger, something. And he says, hey, don't call me nigger. Oh, this and is in Madison. Fired. This Madison. just happened, yeah, right? which I, I presume when I see this story that that – there, this is what was the maybe this is kid, ridiculous. I, I presume it was a black kid. Oh, I thought it was a white kid. Because otherwise, that would be the whole story. The implication that was not made clear. The implication was something different from what I when I got from it from the the piece that I saw was mm-hmm. that that it was not clarified. I think, it was, but that's the thing. A racial it, epithet was used at him. But if it, it was yeah. the other way around, if it was the other way around, if it was a white student who used it and a black guy who got fired. And the black guy did get fired. But but what I'm saying is this would be an example of how insane white supremacy is, um, perhaps. Oh. I I don't know that you can actually have a story like that wherein wherein the white person is actually using the word nigger and not the ultimate villain in the story, even if the teacher ends up The only reason I thought that might be the case is because it was somebody underage. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was at school. So yeah, no, they, they don't have a problem vilifying okay. yeah. people who are underage if they are broaching certain norms. I wanted to uh, touch on what you were sort of uh, talking about before, sorry, uh, microphone uh, closeness, um, in terms of, hey, if if you're going to be loading up the conversation so much in one direction, you're creating an opportunity for counter-programming mm-hmm. over here. It's just natural going to happen that way. Um, because you wrote an essay and it was uh, part of the um, uh, critique of the uh, lousy review that Moynihan's going to talk about later. But it's also, I presume, uh, uh, rehearsed in your book a little bit uh, a year and, and a couple of change ago talking and, and super long medium essay. Oh, yeah. And um, – like your best work, because you're a very good essayist, it mm-hmm. makes me profoundly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, for so long, for 8,000 words of discomfort. <laughs> um, that was going to be the name of this. This book was going to be called 75,000 Words of Pain. But it was kind of your uh, going down the rabbit hole yeah. of the free speech YouTube, a little bit intellectual dark web. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and getting kind of seduced by it and then it's intersection intersecting with your life in a way that uh, again uncomfortable um but uh but it, fascinating and um since pr- precisely because you are more even though you've been a, a columnist for a long time you're an essayist and not a polemicist right, you talk about right. experiences not about how we should fix the transit no, system i have no idea uh, um <laughs> but like the reaction to you right now um sometimes is like oh now she's become this political person oh. that, that she wasn't before um because that you experienced this kind of uh going down the rabbit hole of free speech and and Right. People who have politics that weren't the same or like approach to politics that weren't the same what you saw before. And the name of this piece was with Nuance, a love story, yes. which I believe is I read that. And that's how you and I first made contact with one another. Yeah. So that I was working on the book and that was part of the book. And then suddenly everybody was talking about the intellectual dark web. Barry Weiss wrote about it. And I was mm-hmm. like, wait a second. I've I've been into the intellectual dark web before anybody. Like, I got to I got to get in on this. So I would not have normally like taken a chunk out of this manuscript. Uh, but I just felt like it was timely. So talk about like how that pierced your 
whatever you have around you yeah. and and where you're at a well, little bit. It was very it was very personal because I had gotten divorced. I got divorced uh well 4 years ago. I split up with my husband and I moved from Los Angeles to New York and it's a very amicable divorce uh and the you know my husband he'd really been an intellectual ally for all of our problems. We really just had great conversations and we were very much on the same page just in terms of how we saw the world and uh, we felt really aligned. Uh, our sensibilities were really aligned. You know, even if, if our friends were disagreeing with us, we just always felt like we had each other. So uh, when we split up, I found myself alone and really missing those conversations. And I I found myself watching a lot of YouTube and I didn't have a TV. I mean, who has a TV anymore? Obviously, I didn't know Torre had a show on MSNBC, <laughs> so I completely yeah. out of it. I don't know. I, I don't know how to work Torrey's my remote control. Was with I don't know. Look, I, the problem is I don't know how to turn my TV on. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like New York One, and I then it's you. stuck. Yeah, yeah. It's stuck on you. that. So yeah. okay. So I, I got really into Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter talking mm-hmm. on Blogging Heads. Mm-hmm. So BloggingHeads.tv is this sort of low, low-fi. It's uh, it's old very school. old school. Very, very old school. Uh, I'm a late adopter. I'm just catching up on. Yeah. I'm very slow to figure <laughs> stuff out. Uh, so, so I just started watching all these people talking to each other, sort of intellectuals and pseudo intellectuals having conversations. Is and this something you had sort of on the in the background? As no, 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 no. I sit there. I yeah. would just sit there for hours. It's an important and, distinction. And I know. So yes, yeah, it's not like rough, M- it's not I'm like hearing. NPR. Yeah, don't get divorced because the <laughs> alt right will come after you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the lesson. I, I did um, like that moment where you said, I don't remember the exact phrase, that you, your husband was the most agreeable and disagreeable person that you knew oh. as far as, I, I, but, but it's like you had the g- greatest conversation. Well, he, was he, was the best, the most, he was the best thing and the worst thing in my worst, life, exactly. which is true of any marriage, yeah, really, whether yeah. you're still married yeah. or you're divorced. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, and, but that was a replacement. Yeah, it became that. And uh, and I just got and, and at the same time, these these political and cultural tides were turning and friends, colleagues that I had assumed I was in accord with. We were sort of starting to fracture. I would find myself in weird fights with people over <laughs> rape culture and whether or not to believe that one in five women on campus are raped. I mean, people that I just thought were critical thinkers and 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 are in many ways had just decided that they were going to go along with this narrative and and it was frustrating and and the the fundamental feeling was of aloneness i just felt really alone hmm. with my thoughts and so the the book is really very much about sort of settling into your own confusion. And I talk in that piece, mm. I say, you know, if you're going to be honest, the more honest you are with your thoughts, the more alone you're going to be with your thoughts. And so that animates a lot of this book and, and a lot of this journey. And how much, where are you now? And because there is, I mean, the journey is the right yeah, word. Yeah, I'm totally alone. You're not going to I am kind of asking you the minute out, I, I, The minute I uh, leave here. You've today. only been drinking the wine. You should get to the but whiskey I can't, now. I can't, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a, four more bottles of that waiting for me at home. So, <laughs> gonna, um, yeah, four more bottles of wine. And I also had a St. Bernard. I had, you know, it was me and my St. Bernard watching you 
YouTube drinking Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Now, this is inspiring. Um, not depressing at all. Um, the the dog of... would just vomit from drinking at the, at the end of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, the dog was named John McWhorter. It's jo- very strange. Uh, but no, you, you talk about this as a journey. You just use that word. Where are you, you know, uh, are you in the, where are you in the journey now? I mean, it, it reminded me of when you said that in the book of the Lionel Trilling book, The Middle of the Journey, about somebody who's leaving one culture, political culture for another. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really hard. I actually just wrote, um, I write a column for Medium every other week, and the column I posted this week was about how difficult it was to write this book, and it's almost impossible to write about an experience that you're still in the middle of. I teach mm-hmm. a lot, and one of the biggest things I tell my students is that you can't write they're always trying to write about a relationship or or something. They're trying to write memoirs, and they try to start it while they're still in it. Yeah. And by definition, that's what this book was. I just couldn't. I was so stuck in the middle of it. And you kind of just have to, like, set a quit date. Like, I'm going to write up until this point. Uh, and honestly, I, I was, like, still writing the book up until, like, a month ago. I mean, I was if I if I could show up at readings with like little post-its of stuff that I added and just kind of like stick them in anybody's add, book. Because I mean, there's a, it, I, I know the, the the part of this book, which is about you. Yeah. And about your journey. And, and of course, your divorce, which animates a lot of it. Right. In, in this particular part of it. Is it keeping up with these political outrages or is it is there something personal? Yeah, that no, you- I think that's too simple. It's it's really um, reckoning with a sense of being obsolete. Mm. I think there's something about Generation X people because we are not digital natives. We were actually adults before the Internet. Right. I, my first job out of college, I had a selectric typewriter at mm-hmm. my desk. We had internet, like inter-office email, yeah. but we had a fax machine. That was kind of a big deal. And that wasn't that long ago. Dude, I did typesetting for a living. Did you write in a horn book when you were uh, in, in, in high school? The, I had an abacus. Then. I actually had an ab- abacus, <laughs> yeah. So I try to tally up my restaurant bill. There's something pull about out my abacus. But so we are the first generation that is really old before we're even 50. We're obsolete. I find that, especially with like a lot of the feminist stuff, part of the the generational divide is that the younger women don't even really want... This isn't just women. This is, I think, younger people, they don't even... They don't want our opinion because it's really not relevant. Oh, boy. I, is, have is you that, not is found that, this? That no, no, it absolutely is in the sense that, like, you know, and again, we'll talk about this later in the, this BuzzFeed uh, review that was um, a good quarter of it was that you don't get it, old lady. But mm-hmm. actually, she. But well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to I that. don't want to spoil um, that. But but you know, it is. I mean, you, you're right about this. In like, we, you remember a time when none of this happened. You can imagine a life. I mean, I think of this often. Had I, you know, not tweeted something and gotten this, like, and, you know, it ruins my day if someone like jumps on me. So I don't tweet very much mm. anymore. People jump on me and say all these horrible things about me. And, you know, I mean, Joanna, my, my ex used to tell me, like, don't read the comments, don't read the comments, especially the comments on YouTube, et cetera. And I oh. finally took that advice. It was the recent comments that, that pushed me over the edge. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and that would like ruin my day. And, and I and I would be wistful for like four years ago. 
than when none of this existed, and I could send something to an editor right. and send it back, and then it would go in the newspaper, and I don't know if anyone read it, but you know, it's it's there. And we were able to write better stuff. Yeah, that's what I find all the time. I try to say to my students, take some risks here. Mm. Why are you even in the job? Why mm. are you trying to do this if you're mm. just going to say the obvious mm. or pander to your audience or or your tribe? And they say, well, that's easy for you to say, and they have a point because when I started writing, I, I was writing controversial stuff in my twenties. And maybe there would be letters. There were angry letters to the editor, but I didn't have to see them necessarily. And I was on to the next thing before they came about. And it was incredibly liberating. And I I think that was that's a great gift. And so I I really what what drives the book is this it's that's a real sadness to the book. It's Mm. it's you really kind of feel like it's I'm just sort of grappling with the fact that time is is moving on and we're this generation that's kind of like we're we're old before our time but but we're also very lucky i feel so lucky that i was able to be like a thinker and a writer in those decades when it was so much easier to to do in an interesting and honest question, way. Question on one hand, I want to interrupt Camille because he's talked too much. Yeah. This podcast. Thanks. Thanks uh, for that, Matt. But uh, is just like, we talk a lot about the generation divide at mm-hmm. places like the New York times. Presumably I don't know about this, but at vice and other places um, that, uh, maybe that's part of it, right? Like it's, we just sort of think about it. I think about it, not really experiencing that myself, that people under, 30, whatever, fill in the blank, um, are just kind of like, oh, these woke children who are doing their woke things. And we are we have this wisdom. But maybe Megan's onto something like we have they can they they can smell the obsolescence on our breath Mm -hmm. and have a completely different experience that just they don't get what Moynihan's rattling on about in the corner of the Vice (laughs) Newsroom. And we wanted role models, right? (laughs) Like when we were in our if when I was in my twenties, I would have been thrilled to have an audience with Hmm. somebody who was in her sixties or something like that. Right. And I think not only do they are they not really interested it's not they don't need it like it would be like meeting with a like a like a petrified forest or something yeah. that. it's <laughs> it's really yeah and i i don't like they i mean people that must ask you for career advice what do you, what really. did you do okay really. <laughs> what did you what did you do how did you do it and you could say it and it would like they would be like fuck you that's not available to me now like tell me something else i it's but, it's really but true is it that or is it that that you would be sort of the wrong kind of hero like there well, are people like asada shakur who might be a hero there are particular kinds of feminists who embody the prevailing values oh well that's a little bit of a that's a a slightly different different discussion i mean Mm -hmm. yes there there's the kind of just practical things that have changed in the culture and that changed the Mm -hmm. way you make career decisions and how your trajectory but yeah uh i think that you know ultimately I keep coming back to this. I just don't understand what the point of being a public thinker is if you're not going to be honest and take risks and have people be mad at you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the job. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they're, they're the incredible victory of this this kind of new type of thinking is the fear. It's not winning the argument right. on intellectual merits. I mean, you could even say 
1917, despite the fact that it was a, a coup by force, that, you know, Bolshevism was kind of winning. And there was a lot of people that went, Americans that went over from John Reed uh, over and said, oh, you know, I've, you know, the future is working over there. And it, it, that was winning the intellectual debate, particularly after the the disaster of, of the Great Depression and the Second World War. It was like, we need a new mode of thinking. And I always think of that as an honest intellectual victory. And, it, and then it was an honest intellectual defeat because it all came crumbling in 1989. But, you know, it lives on the academy. I think now I see that people don't win arguments so much as terrify you into not making your own arguments. Right, mm -hmm. right. And also also responding to your arguments with a series of phrases that like, you know, white privilege and, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, this, it's, yeah. they're never sort of expanding on it and saying like, well, this is actually what I mean in this place. <laughs> I could be a guy, you know, who grew up, you know, uh, like under a bridge or something and next to somebody who's, you know, not the same race who, who uh, went to Harvard mm -hmm. and I'm the oppressor still. So that, that, that it's like it, that are, I would love to have that argument is like, how is there sort of privilege in other people's existences that is beyond just the melanin, but, you know, and and you can't, have, I, I just don't is, feel comfortable. And like, you. that is a version of intersectional thinking. Is it not? Yeah. Intersectional theory is about overlapping yeah. layers of oppression. What about overlapping layers of privilege? Well, look, I think the, the, the most common overlap that you see of people who are politically homeless, like myself, I don't consider myself any particular ideology. I don't say like I'm a right, left, even libertarian. I'm just like, you know, this thing is probably more closest to me than, than other things. Mm -hmm. But I find that a lot of people that, that talk about these issues and think about these issues, most of their allies now are on the left. And there are people like this, you know, the Red Scare podcast, people like that. And you know why is because they're obsessed with the class analysis. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a Marxism, like in these types of Marxists, like these true Marxists, they don't, they think identity politics is poisonous. And mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's completely misreading the situation, right. which is that, that class is the thing. That in, and if you were to choose between those two things, the Marxist analysis is far closer to the truth than any of the others. Uh, interesting, though, like look at look at uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. Right. So Bernie Sanders is basically Ralph Nader. I covered Ralph Nader in 2000. Bernie Sanders, same like white hair coming out of his ears. Yeah. Um, and, and when asked a question about remember the like, hey, Bernie, do black lives matter in 2015? Mm -hmm. His answer was not acceptable oh, yeah. mm -hmm. in 2015, even though he's running against Hillary Clinton. And if you wanted to judge him by his civil rights record or his criminal justice record or any number of basically criminal justice, let's say, because Black Lives Matter came as a criminal justice thing. Also, it, there's a photo of Bernie in, I think, 1963 or something yeah, yeah, in yeah. Chicago as a young mm -hmm, man mm -hmm. at a civil rights protest. It's like, absolutely credit for it. like his bona fides were great. Um, and Hillary's were absolutely not great at all. Uh, and yet, like he was getting bucketfuls of, of 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 guff from this because he didn't answer the question in the moment uh, correctly. But that was also reflective of he had the Marx analysis, mm -hmm. um, which you see, saw Nader I, when I was covering him. I remember going to East St. Louis with him um, in uh, in 2000, and it was the first time that I went to any kind of uh, a, a rally or gathering where there was even like 5% black people. Mm -hmm. You're in East St. Louis. Wow. It should probably it, be it a little only bit 5%. more than five. It, and it probably was. I don't remember exactly, but, but it was, but it was striking visually. I wasn't sitting there, you know, counting all at all times, but he would always answer the questions even about 
like uh, gay rights and other things like that, it would always be like equal rights, equal responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, you talk about uh, classes of people, he would immediately go to the kind of social and economic class thing. Note how Bernie has changed the way he's talked about that in the last four years. Right. Like, and Bernie doesn't change. Yeah, no. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie, Bernie seems to have won the argument it, on on the left in many respects, but on these particular on, on these particular issues, the issues of sort of race and class and which which to prioritize, he's totally drunk the Kool Aid, so to speak. I don't think he has, but I think I think you're both right. But I don't think he is actually drunk the Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. But it's a very good point because it's the drumbeat you always hear of that Bernie Sanders is so his convictions are so solid that he's never changed in his career. And that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. But there's three. He, he drops the, we actually have to own the means of production. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And you know, he's like, the, he, he got rid of the Daniel Ortega tattoo on his back. It was lasered <laughs> off. It, it cost him like a thousand dollars. But, um, you know, the thing about it is that there's three things that he's talked about in a different way in the past three or four years, mm-hmm. uh, maybe five years. And that's, of course, race, as you were pointing out. Um, immigration. immigration, which mm-hmm. is a big one. Very much. So. And he was very much on the side of of not immigration hawks, but saying that more immigration depressed working class wages. So mm-hmm. it's an obvious. Tucker Carlson, Mickey Kouse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, exactly. Um, and uh, the third one was guns. And I have mm-hmm. an interview right. somewhere from Iowa in uh, God, it's like 2015 or something, and I, I don't think we used it, but I think it was a, it was a vice thing. I, I didn't shoot it; but somebody else did. And I remember a bit of it in which he said that, like, you know, we have guns everywhere in in Vermont, and we have almost no homicides. And Bernie was making that argument, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's true. Um, and you know, it's more nuanced than that, obviously. But they have no people. But, yeah, exactly. Um, and you would never hear him say that today. Yeah. And I, you know that he believes that. And he, I mean, I, you could also make the argument because it's not really a Bernie issue, but he's in Vermont and has to make that argument. Mm. But I, it struck me that on the trail in Iowa, there's no usefulness to the people as constituents in Vermont. And it seemed like he actually believed mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, that's, I mean, everybody, everybody kind of gets in line ultimately on, on certain issues. Because talking about them openly and honestly is, is, is dangerous. I mean, it's not just, I mean, it, it used to be dangerous for politicians because you're trying to sort of, you know, corral every like little ethnic vote. Um, but now it's everywhere and it's scary. <laughs> well, we've, we've been going for a while, so we should probably get to some idiot wrote this, which it sounds like we have some time for. But before we do that, Megan, I wanted to, to ask about sort of where you think we are as a polity and as a society, because I think your book is sort of a a meditation personally as you're kind of navigating this journey, but you do frame it in the context of what is happening on the political scene. And there is a sense amongst many people that, you know, this is a nation that is being torn asunder and that, that, that things are in a very bad place. And even I think some of the concerns expressed with sort of the the excesses of swoke culture or the left broadly, if I'm I'm going to paint that picture, that there might be some fundamental change that's taking place that endangers our future. I heard uh, I think it was um, Mark Andreessen um, this week who was talking about sort of the free speech and people who want to police the speech of their political opponents and how that that instinct to police the speech of other people because you think it's so things are so bad now that even to hear certain ideas expressed is dangerous to us as a society that those things are signs of something that's deeply wrong with our society but i also hear this other 
narrative about things being cyclical. Like we've we've seen some of this before. Wh- which is it? Are things are we careening towards something awful, um, or is this a manifestation of something we've seen before, or is it somehow both things? And I've I've been somewhat yes, quiet and. in this recording because I'm this is what I'm I'm wrestling with, and in some respects I've always been trying to answer this question for myself, right? Um, and I'm I'm not sure. So perhaps this is the journey. Well, I'm on yeah, I mean, I and, and the, and the book the is really just me asking myself this question and a lot of other questions over and over again. I, I think that the the Trump emergency, quote unquote, has mm-hmm. just given people an excuse to be lazy thinkers. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, we, you know, suddenly we need all hands on deck and we cannot afford to have any sort of complicating conversation because uh, we're in such a crisis that if, if anything gets misinterpreted or if it requires, you know, any sort of like heavy lift to to parse this out, right. we're going to lose people right. and we just we just can't afford it. Right, right. And and I think that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I it's it's really depressing. Mm-hmm. I, and I, but I do also think people are pretty damn sick of it. People were sick of it three years ago, four years ago, when I started thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't know if it's just me because I've been swimming in this and, and I haven't had any other topic for the last couple of years. But I don't think a week or even a day goes by where somebody doesn't say to me, oh, well, you know, I can only tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, because I can't tell my friends or my neighbors or my colleague. And, and then they go and, and just express something that's exactly like what we've been saying here. Like, oh, I can't, you know, my, my, I'm so frustrated in my kid's school. They're, they're pushing this, this narrative. And I know I should, I know I should think this way, but I don't, there's this, there's this gulf between what people think and what they believe they're supposed to think. Is this an urban problem? Hmm. Well, it's, no, it's a, it's happening all over the place. It's not happening. I mean, it seems like it happens to me, like you know, L.A., Portland. Well, but again, Chicago, but again, here's the thing. I just with, wonder if everyone no, that but, listens to this but, podcast experiences. But this similar. is like That's saying, but this is like saying, is it only student activists acting out? And if so, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yes, but they have. It, Outsized influence, as you say in the book. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's small and, and that has yeah. changed. So, you know, getting back to the beginning of this conversation, what's changed between now and and the eighties is that we have amplification, and institutions are pandering to this. Uh, you know, in, entire universities, corporations will fire somebody because they're not adhering to that. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all held hostage to this, mm-hmm. and it's it's really like we all we all work for Twitter in a way now. Yeah. If Disney can fire somebody because uh, a bunch of people on Twitter who actually don't even have that many followers and should not have really any influence at all decide that this person should be canceled. Who are we working for? It's so complicated. Because yeah. because in, in one respect, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I think even the, the situation with the NBA in China recently is another sort of illustration of this. But it's also possible for us to, for us, whatever it is our faction is, to overstate our concern related to this. And while there is this growing concern about everything, and there are lots of people who agree with you and are willing to tell you so in hushed tones behind closed doors, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I wouldn't say it publicly, but yeah, you're totally right. They're they're doing too much. And while there is this deep resentment, like eventually they win and it will crush something very important. I just, I don't know. Which which is it? Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that everybody in this room has had people 
say kind of sotto voce to them, yeah. like you're the person that I can actually say this to. I mean, I get it literally every day yeah. in this instance, particularly how many other, times a day because I, I mean, get it like seven times a day so how many like, times like uh, 140 oh. a day it's like <laughs> you know I'm running up but whatever like you know parents at school friends particularly people that I work with I don't want to say that but that it happens uh, pretty frequently and I think the reason for it is is because you know now the sanction is so heavy and it's not that yeah. the sanction is so heavy just that you get fired it's that you never recover because mm -hmm. the the trail is everywhere particularly if you're in a job that's similar to the one that we do is that if you are canceled and something bad happens to you or if there's a allegation in a kind of me too thing it's a shitty media mentalist which is covered in your book too um that is everywhere mm -hmm. and you don't recover that's why you're like i can't i don't want to tell this woman and there's also the other thing is that is that i there's a, a version of this of a of a of a woman who I saw do something not too long ago who's very very drunk and and this is not the car this uh, is not the woman with no pants in the uh, car, the car she's crashing into the building she's waiting in the car that her insurance company got her <laughs> outside so I gotta go like five minutes <laughs> no um, I said do you put those pants on I'm not getting in um, <laughs> but no like I, I see I I saw this uh, woman and I can't too many details but she was she was drunk and. It, it was um, some people that I know that she worked with, and she was uh, being very, very handsy, and because she's so drunk, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a point you get so drunk, you black out, and you do all this dumb stuff. And I realized, <laughs> okay, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I like beer. I really like beer. I like a beer. I don't know why I mean, my on. nickname has anything to do with this, but um, <laughs> I'm talking about me. I'm talking about somebody else that I saw. Um, and I realized during this. I was like, if I did that, my career would be over by the time my head hit the pillow. Because you talk about this in the book, which you were given shit for in this BuzzFeed thing, about um, which I thought was a really interesting and, and, you know, I hate to say brave because, you know, you say it's your job and it is our job to talk about these things. But I wouldn't certainly write about this. And I'm like sort of nervous even talking about it. But the, the idea that women um, can get into similar situations themselves. Oh, toxic it, femininity. Yeah, I guess so. But the sanction, I see the difference when I want this is like, yeah, you're just drunk. It happens. And like. She didn't do anything bad, but she was like hanging all over somebody and like kissing, trying to kiss somebody who I, you know, and like that, that sort of thing is like, eh, whatever. She got too drunk and then she'd probably be feel like shit about it tomorrow and apologetic. And I realized that she doesn't care about that because there's no sanction. Yeah. There's no idea that their life is going to be canceled the next day and they're going to be on a list mm -hmm. and that everyone's going to be debating the list and the list will be on. And that to me is sexist, frankly. Mm -hmm. It is sexist. Why, why, why do we not have the same standards? Mm -hmm. why, why do we hold women into less account mm -hmm. for, their, for their behaviors? Why do you think that is? Well, it's... I mean, because it's because sex. it's sexist, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, mm -hmm. well, you know, we don't we're just we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt or we're going to it's sort of almost like a yeah. perverse form of chivalry in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's I don't want to go too you know, there's there are there would be people like in the extreme, you know, corners of feministing or bustle or whatever that says, you know, the, 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 the patriarchy, you know, there are, there are norms imposed upon women and they're hypersexualized and they think their only agency is through their yeah. sexual expression and, and getting, you know, the, 
male attention, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. You could go pretty far down that road, but yeah, it's, that, it's really common, not useful. It's, it's really a, not useful. It's a common argument yeah. that we're all zombies and yeah. controlled by other people and other instincts and socialization yeah. that makes mm-hmm. us do and say these things. But I just want to say one thing. I mean, to your point, Camille, it, it's it's very easy to get so caught up in this stuff and ignore the, you know, neglect to say out loud that obviously the other side is, is Trumpism worse than wokeism? Yes. And I think that's exactly why the, the other side needs to get its act together. I mean, people say to me, well, how can you, you know, you really think that the biggest threat to the culture now is, is like woke culture when we've got all this stuff going on on the other side and, and, and no, but, but the fact that it's, the fact that it's is this emergency or could be construed as such means that we have to get our acts together. It's and never also, been you can, more you can also make a very plausible argument that the reason we have that emergency is because yes. of wokeness in some yeah, ways. Right. Of uh-huh. Donald Trump, you know, banging on about political correctness and saying, "Oh, that's a guy who says what he thinks." I don't put a lot of stock in that theory, but I think that there's a little truth to it. A, that, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I, think they were like, you know, we no. hate intersectionalists, no, so no, we're no, going to no, elect no. Trump. But there were a lot of people that I spoke to who liked the fact that he was plain speaking while acknowledging that he was gruff and rough and things saying things that they would never say around their kids, much less in a rally full of kids, right, right? and full of families. Mm-hmm. Right. So they'd acknowledge that by saying, well, at the same time saying that, like, yeah, you know, but it's good that somebody is, like, turning the tide here and saying whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Yeah. Monster. You're seeing these stuff yeah. on television. And, you know, especially if you're watching a lot of Fox and every – one of these outrages is getting a lot of mm-hmm. play on certain opinion shows. So monster that I am, I'm still of the opinion that that the major difference between Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Donald Trump is that one of them is president. I mean, in terms of the my aversion to their way of looking at the world and approaching politics, etc. Like I have precisely, they both give me the willies in in precisely the same sort of way. So I don't. You think she would be as destructive? Know. You think she's as destructive Without of a force? A Without a doubt. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But this is this is my personal personal assessment coming coming with my own you know bizarre philosophical proclivities. Um, it's so it's freighted. No. But yeah, no. You it's do the same. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's the same sort of crudeness. It's the same sort of awfulness. Only one of them is likely to grab me by the genitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is which uh, one? Which one would you like? Well, I mean, Donald Trump, obviously. Yes. <laughs> he says those delicate, small they're, hands. They're, 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 they're they're like, yeah. Yeah. So small. Um, so old the Air Force would be. Yeah. <laughs> little cute so, hands. So special edition of Some Idiot Wrote This. Yeah, well, okay, so Some Idiot Wrote This is um, dedicated uh, this week to a writer that I know named Megan Daum. Mm. Um, and it was a writer I'd never heard of named Elizabeth Donnelly, who's <laughs> writing in BuzzFeed, which apparently has a uh, very low standards let anyone write these days, because she wrote... Wrote a what what one would presume would be a review of Megan's book. Um, I have barely read this, by the way. Okay, well, I'm so, read, I'm see, read this is really you're your gonna book, you're right? gonna yeah. read my bad review out loud today. Uh, some of you. Okay, some of you, yeah. okay, yeah. okay, yeah. Good. okay yeah. no, this is this good. is called this is called good radio, Megan. <laughs> no, I know. I, I like it. This it. is <laughs> like uh, this is like an S and M kind of thing. So yeah, I am going to do a bit of editing myself. This is a new experiment. Do a little verbal editing if you guys want to jump into. Okay, I just want to start with the second line. Um, when she's talking about uh, Nuance, a love story, the piece that you wrote. The second line is, the love story as detailed in this 28-minute read? Well, yes, because they say how long it takes to make okay. medium. Uh, they, they do the courtesy of telling you how long it takes to read Okay. Um, well, n- that's not explained to the people like me no. who don't understand <laughs> that. Okay. And she's and writing that, yeah. in BuzzFeed. In BuzzFeed. Yeah. She's uh, not writing uh, uh, 
and then she describes you as a, say, I got a, it, a lifelong self-described liberal. This is going to come up again, people, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. pay attention. Self-described as opposed to, I mean, how dare you self-describe as a liberal? <laughs> the next line is, is this is a bad editing thing, talking about the uh, intellectual talk web and she, that they present themselves as self-styled public intellectuals. By the way, I, you know, a self-styled public intellectual. I mean, wh- what is that? And also present. Yeah, that's you know, pre- redundant. Yeah, yeah. triple. No, there's <laughs> right. a lot of bad writing in right. here. Um, uh, who argue that the values of quote reason, which can easily, Drink. easily, <laughs> easily be interpreted as hate speech. Yes. So I don't know who they're talking about here. I presume uh, Barry Wise, because mentions Barry Wise here, oh, and people like reason. Sam Harris. Uh, um, um, are, are, are indulging in hate speech. The next uh, paragraph, which I really enjoy, for lifelong fans of Don, which he claims to be, nuance was befuddling, dissonant, and troubling. That was totally news to me. Yeah. That it was troubling? Or that she was I a lifelong fan? I have to fan? say, the, yeah, that I have lifelong fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, stop right there. Yeah, That's yeah, like yeah. saying you're a horrible person, but, yeah. but you're thin. Yeah. So I'm, just, I'm <laughs> totally <laughs> fine. It's the best thing I ever read. Yeah, I like it. Yes. Yes. More Megan comments uh, yeah. on this guy. Dom is something like a senior statesperson oh. for the young, striving, white nonfiction woman writer. Everything that you are is described there. Nobody else can like you. I have a I have a, a, a small uh, friend from Ecuador. You have a small friend, small friend, uh, female from Ecuador, <laughs> who said she wants to read your book, but she can't. Yeah, because it's, you're too, not, it's no, too heavy for her to lift. Yeah, well, that too. Okay. I mean, I, I, I come over and hold it for her. That's, like, that's how I know her. But you're a senior statesperson, but not for her. For the mm-hmm. not for Ecuadorians. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have now, like the Bridget Jones like? Grandma panties? Yeah, the me? Do I wear them? Yes. Why, why do you ask me that? Right, go on. Okay. I, I'll figure that out in a special episode for the Patreon subscribers. Um, uh, this is, uh, the, I just uh, highlighted this because the next uh, uh, sentence has self-described public intellectuals again because the editor is not paying attention. Now, this is the meat, if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the corn of the argument. Dom wrestles with, quote, both sides of issues in a manner that she would classify, she would classify as the pursuit of nuance. But too often, she just ends up seeming out of touch with people's everyday lives and excessively attuned to arguments on the Internet. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things in this that, you know, you can try to make that argument. Both sides is in, is in, mm-hmm. is in quotes. Because what you realize that's unfolding in this completely idiotic piece is that this person doesn't believe that there are two sides of these arguments in that you are you know falling for some neo-nazi trap um she does say that um at the end of the a paragraph that you are friends with barry wise dom appeared appeared at the moderate chic book party oh really for weiss's how to fight anti-semitism wow. weiss will be interviewing dom on her book tour oh yeah so that was a parenthetical to make sure people knew that you were really um, so that's a plug it's a plug for the event <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. good yeah i like the fact I that i don't have any objection to any of this so far i like the fact that barry's like totally normal book party now is a title the moderate chic book party that she went to and if you've read radical chic um that was a pretty exciting party at letter and bernstein's house yeah Yeah. this is um certainly what would tom wolf think of any of this Uh, he'd be he he had some thoughts yes um 
Let's see. Internet. uh, This is my favorite. Internet uh, memes go mainstream. Uh, She argues, and this is a New Yorker writer, that Tolentino, due to a celebration, exploitation, the mainstreaming of feminism under capitalism. So basically, the reason to point that line out is you're getting a drift of where this woman's going. Mm -hmm. You're getting a a sense of her uh, politics by writing that current feminism is angry, Megan. Dam's arguments have more than a whiff of maternalistic condescension. Oh, that's so funny because I famously like hate children and I, yeah. and I don't have children you and, punch I, my daughter and I love, in the mouth. I, and I never even met her. I, 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 I like in, in the air. You sent no, me I, a message I, about I, it. Um, that's the first time I've ever been called I, maternal. I, yeah. I love this. this is great, I think right? that she's trying to call you old in 18 different yeah, ways. Well, that's yeah. right. And angry. Hmm. Yeah. And, and she, she says you also suffer from the cluelessness of white feminism. Well, true, um, true, true. But, but this is a great, this, she talks about your writing about Brett Kavanaugh, which is, you know, again, this is personal in a lot of ways. This is not reporting. No. And she decides to say it's a subject that's reported on with far more authority in Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy's book. Get she out. Said, yeah. How <laughs> yeah. dare she? Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. That, that's my favorite thing is like, is like saying she was whistling, but, you know, music's better heard on the mm-hmm. Beatles' White Album. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's not the same, same thing. Uh, to quote Tolentino once again, Dom relies on the kind of whataboutism that, that, quote, appealing to people who wish to seem both contrarian and intellectually superior. Hello, Camille. Oh. Yours oh. is, and by the way, mm-hmm. this is whataboutism. She misuses like, m- a number well, of times during the, during the, I, it's like what a, Matt. I, it's, yeah. Whataboutism. <laughs> I actually just wrote a piece recently. I mean, whataboutism is just another way of saying perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, in saying like, oh, by the way, there hmm. there is this. If you're shutting down an argument and not addressing the argument being put to you and deflecting, that's what about is them. Mm-hmm. You know, the Soviets. That's where it came. It was the thing in the Cold War. Is that you would say you invaded Afghanistan and be like, yeah, but you have civil rights problems. You had slavery. You <laughs> right, had Vietnam. Right, right. That's what about is them. Right, saying right. like, let's contextualize this. Is not. Yeah. Um, this is the real. This is the argument here. Exploring both sides, again, in quotes, both sides, is an obsession that doesn't feel particularly useful or urgent. It seems to me that these times, it seems to me, that these times call for action rather than intellectual hedging. The argument is over. The argument is over. And you know why? Because this woman has decided that Megan Dom didn't write the book that she wanted her to write. That's right. It's (laughs) like, you didn't write the book and you don't, uh, these are the things that I think are important and she doesn't. There are those books. There are so many of them. They're readily available. Are you a conservative, Megan? Because the conservative streak that blossoms here, it blossoms, may turn Dom into a full-on professional pundit, something with a future discussing the problems with something, men, women, misogyny, on someone's angry podcast. Oh, really? It says that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this podcast is not. But angry. we're not it's angry. Not angry. Yeah. We're not yeah. angry. Everybody who disagrees with these people is angry. You know, um, uh, this is the, so. Here's the final graph, and mm-hmm. I want to read this to Megan and get her response to this. The lasting image I've retained. That's <laughs> good God. You don't know how to write, do you? The lasting image I've retained from the pl- problem with everything is one. This is my. Oh, you're gonna love this. Is one of a woman alone at her computer in her New York apartment reading as much as possible in arguing with herself. It's a lonely image of someone producing writing of the laziest sort. Shaped by YouTube, Twitter, the 24-hour news cycle. This is for BuzzFeed, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's the image of a working woman writer 
looking at something like her own impending obsolescence oh. and lashing out at the present. Well, uh, that, Megan, that, answer for that, yourself, that, you old lady. I kind of, I <laughs> kind of, agree. I actually, she kind of plagiarized my book. I know. <laughs> said that it's about obsolescence. No, it, it is, it's, but this it, is a try, she's no. trying to insult you, right? Really? Right. Well, oh, yeah, she's like an no. old lonely woman. Well, I do sit at my computer arguing with myself a lot. Um, <laughs> can I retract my summary of no, and I, say this is the I, greatest piece I, of the current? Look, a, a lot of this she's not wrong about. She says this like it's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. That that's my response. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to get into I'm not going to get into fights with with my critics. I mean, you know, I think we've all written, no, written uh, reviews. Uh, we not, all have. And we all and and most of us are lucky to have good editors. But, but look, and I don't. They, I, she, maybe she. Uh, I don't know. I no. absolutely. I, I don't know. Um, you, you haven't. You haven't read. She's it a yet. self-described you know, writer. I, I will say. <laughs> self-described. I, you know, mostly. I didn't. Um, uh, I did not. I, I kind of skimmed the piece. I mean, I literally just dropped a few hours ago, and yeah. um, I was uh, I, I was out and about today. But yeah, but you know what's but you know, actually one of the things I did notice. She talked about how um, I had like these earlier you know earlier in my career. I had these my yeah. mismatch. You know, so this is what is really fascinating to me. So in my twenties, um, I I published some essays in the New Yorker, and they were about this experience of being like you know a, a young striving white that didn't come up at the time person with you know various class anxieties and Mm -hmm. and other neuroticisms and people have um people like lionize this period of my career now uh and these essays and and that book and i can tell you at the time it it got a lot of criticism for being like complainy and solipsistic and and my misspent youth this this piece that was in the new yorker there is nothing whiter than that piece (sighs) in the entire world okay that piece if it was published today, it would be excoriated. It would not be published. Mm-hmm. And I find it like really interesting that the, the, the framing here is like, oh, she was great back then. And now like we've lost her somehow. And that's, that's really the, interesting. That, that, that's going to be the criticism because right. I've seen a few headlines like liberal writer Megan Down. And the thing is, it's we've lost one of them. Right. Yeah. Right? And it's this idea of like she says – these pieces, and she goes on at some length about, like, you know, praising your earlier work. In the point of the pieces, she no longer agrees with me, or I no longer agree with her, and that is a shanda, and we have to fix right, this. Right, right. And that's essentially what it is. But, but it's funny because, but if I was publishing those pieces now, they would just be deemed completely uh, of of no of of no interest, of no relevance, like total just upper middle class whining. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's. It's curious. I don't know. Um, but do you do you expect this to happen in a way? There's uh, there's a few paragraphs here about how she wrote a, a piece about something uh, about you or a, a, an earlier book um, for something called Flavor Pill, and she played praised you. This yeah, this writer did. Yeah, and okay. she praised you and was like, um, "Oh no!" And said that. Um, let me find. She said we were. Dom was like a big sister to me, oh. warm and realistic, and oh. not afraid to seem like an asshole. You really disappointed um, her. Yeah. So, but here's the thing: is that <laughs> you're going to get a lot of that, aren't yeah. you? I mean, the expectation that we should have this journey in the same way, at the same pace, with the same ideas, and you have gone off the reservation, and they're upset about. But here's the thing: I actually haven't gone off the reservation. I was writing controversial stuff. In my 20s, I'm not talking about the, my misspent youth piece, but I wrote a piece 
I think I feel like she might have mentioned it. I wrote a piece about about HIV and the safe sex message and the hypocrisies of like the public health, mm. um, you know, information campaigns and sort of branding of 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 safe sex when I was 25 and I got absolutely pilloried mm. and, and I was trying to make a complicated point. It was very similar. The, the premise of that piece was very analogous to a lot of, a lot of what I'm talking about here. It's the same person. I, I actually have not changed. I think what's, I, I think what actually is happening is that I have not, I haven't gone off the reservation. Mm. I have stayed on my own reservation, but I mean, this, this analogy is going to completely fall apart, but like they're revolving, the they're revolving yeah, reservation. Yeah, yeah, I know we can't say can't that say either. Anymore, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I don't, I think I really feel like what's, I have stayed the same. Mm-hmm. I feel like other people have changed. And I have stayed the That's same. Kind of the classic. It's the classic, you know. Denial? Are you saying I'm, I'm in no, denial it's just about a classic this? response. Oh, right. bit, oh, okay. like, uh, Maybe so. Or as my wife uh, says when I accuse her of being pessimistic, she's like, "No, I'm just always realistic." Um, that's kind of what those people will uh, always say. I wanted those, those people, people. Are they French people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I, I wanted to get your kind of uh, reaction to a uh, uh, Martha Gellhorn quote that I will mangle. Um, and it's kind of in the same spirit of like I've stayed the same. People have changed. Circumstances have okay. changed. Which is Martha Gellhorn, who, if nothing else, you should love her listeners just because she broke Ernest Hemingway's spirit by being an actually good war correspondent, and like he was a a, a puddle of his own goo. Um, it, it was she was his what second third wife? I'm unclear. Um, but. Uh, it, a phenomenal writer, great. Go find any collection with her in it. But in her like eighties and nineties in in London, she was sort of the doyen of all these young uh, lefty writers there. And she had a great quote along the lines of like, um, "The expected dreary passage that all intellectuals have in their middle and late middle ages from left to right." Mm. And she was conscious about avoiding it. Mm. She was not going to do that. So cause she was like lefty to the end and uh, was always uh, doing that. Do you worry about that in this in this context? Do you worry that you've gone from being I mean, uh, this woman in her review, what I it's, it's not a good review, but like she keeps saying, like, you know, things like self-described white liberal feminist. And I'm thinking like she, she keeps saying this over and over again, like you it's a it's a it's a uniform. Like it's a dodge. You were on the Dodgers. Right. right. Now, well, you were right. on the by the liberal authority yourself described. But like, but also and they the, wouldn't approve the white now. part. I don't recall yeah. you being like super self white conscious. Um, maybe I'm, uh, I'm out of touch there. <laughs> you just say that all the time. Now. <laughs> You're supposed to say that when you talk about a writer. Now. Uh, mm. But like, do you worry about like, hey, look, I'm just treading that dreary path or I'm maybe inching down it. That Martha Gellhorn warned people, maybe you're not as conscious of that quote, but like, yeah. is, is that the thing that happens to people who, who you had early success and continued success? And so now you're doing the Ricky Gervais thing and like, uh, you know, oh. com- complaining about not only your balls, but uh, if that's a shout out for those who've actually seen the Ricky Gervais thing, which mm-hmm. is hor- horrific. Uh, but also just like, uh, oh, these people are complaining at me. And so you oh. sort of become more reactionary. Oh, no, I don't actually feel I- I'm 
I don't feel that anybody's out to get me. If anything, I don't I don't have a job, so no. I, I, I can say all this stuff. <laughs> Which might prove right. that Yosemite might be out to get Is you. That, well, no, but I mean, I have a lot of jobs, so I'm not going to... I think no, but I know, more of it in yes. terms of, yes. of, of like uh, your own internal assessment. Like, well, I Are do. you worried about your own needle pointing in weird directions. I worry about my own level of, of obsession. It's, you know, Barry Weiss and I have actually talked about this. Like, you know, it, we I sort of have to check myself. Like, am I thinking about this stuff too much right. to the exclusion of other things? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because there is something, it feels good to, to chomp down on this, right? Mm-hmm. There is something like really kind of viscerally satisfying about calling out the, the hypocrisies of, of your own side, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worry that there's a sort of like gut appeal in doing that that mm-hmm. is that is addictive um but it, I, in you terms of going, about that in the sense that like you know is a historian if you're a historian and you're focusing on you know russia and not brazil yeah, or something I mean, it's, it's like that's just but, the but thing that you're interested it's more, in totally it's fine. more interesting to call out the hypocrisies of your own side than to just say like you know trump is terrible sure, like that's it just is. it's not interesting but it, the, the so, point in this piece a lot is like there's more important things out there which is always this thing that yes. this is a woman who's not writing about what i think she should be writing about but maybe that's a valid criticism, right? I don't think it is. Well, it, let's let's imagine that like we have only we only have a hundred great people writing, and let's imagine Moynihan's one of them. This is both. Yeah, both this, okay. This yeah. is pure fantasy. I don't write, I don't write anymore, so it's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's easy to. Camille never started, so that was fine. Um, but like, Megan, you know, can you tell them that it's not appropriate to beat up on me and to put pressure on me in that way? I just heard Megan say earlier, Megan? You're the I'm, whole, I'm you're, you're, aren't, you journey, tra- aren't you in charge of the show? Aren't, aren't you in charge? It. No, you're, you see how little I've been able to talk up. today. They're punching up. They're punching up. They're obviously in charge. You're the man here. It's the patriarchy, the white male cisgender patriarchy that I'm fighting against that won't allow me to be great. You try to marginalize me until yeah. I'm out of my moment. Yeah, I think I think your moments just went whooshing by. <laughs> See? Yeah, really. That's what I said. It's when you go to Camille's house and he's like, you know, bitching at the landscapers. I know. And he's not that's, bitching. I know. that's when you really like. When I were the, having a conversation. When I when I went when I saw out the window you taking that key and taking off his leg irons so he could actually <laughs> move. I was like, oh my god, that Ecuadorian guy is like he has to be able to stretch. Yeah, and he and he's Bolivian. He like, he bowed, by the way, oh okay, and he bowed to you and all that stuff. And he did it's like appropriate. A, he did like a soft shoe routine. I was like, what the hell? I've taught what is him that? well. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, how'd you do that? Yeah, that's amazing. They respond well to incentives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. carrot and stick. <laughs> but I will say about the, about um, people moving that moving to the right, right foot. It just it doesn't exist so much anymore. And you see a lot of it now of people on the right moving towards the center or more towards the left because of Donald Trump. Yeah. But in the in the, the past, I, the people, yeah, Brett, Brett Stevens, uh, uh, Bill Crystal, Charlie Sykes, all these guys. Um, but in the past, it was always this kind of lazy thing of this apocryphal Churchill quote about, you know, over yeah. 30 having heart, whatever. Um, but if you looked at it, the people who actually changed, it was a big deal when they changed. It was only from experience. It was from specific experiences, whether it was Malcolm Muggeridge or Whitaker Chambers or these people that were brutalized. I mean, read The God That Failed, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a that's a you know a fantastic book where a bunch of people are saying, this is why I changed my politics because they were so horrible. 
awful. It was so horrible what was done to me mm-hmm. when I thought this was a great dream. And it was never a thing. I'd be like, oh, I'm a little older now. I don't want to pay taxes. Right. I mean, the big, like, you know, uh, the, it was, I mentioned Lionel Trilling's book, The Middle of the Journey, which is a very good book, and I think the only novel he ever wrote. It is a, it is, Chambers is kind of the character in it, whom he knew. In that, the, the reason conservatives love Witness so much is because, you know, there's kind of a religious element too, but there's, there's this great arc of someone waking up to a dead, already dead ideology in the 1920s. Hmm. And the, the thing that's fantastic about it is that all of this stuff and all these people that fell out of favor with the party and became, you know, I'm rereading uh, Arthur Kessler's Darkness at Noon right now because there's a new translation out. As you do. As you do. It's a fucking amazing book. Um, probably my favorite book. But, um, you know, Kessler was on that side too. You mentioned Hemingway, the number of people that were in Spain in the Spanish Civil War. They, all of this happened not because people got older and became more conservative by some sort of genetic inclination. It was because they experienced terrible things like that the other ideology was doing. And the number of people I see that are kind of lefties today that are whispering to me and saying these things, knowing that I'm not a lefty, but I'm not a righty, is that, you know, they're appalled by this stuff that they never expected would happen on their own side. This kind of, you know, firing inside the tents. And particularly when there's something at stake, like Donald Trump, and seeing, like, you know, what happens on the stage of the Democratic debate is, like, existentially important to them now. And, like, when it's indulging in crazy identity politics, which they've done on that stage of 16, 25, 300 people, is, like, everyone's trying to, like, out-lefty each other and at times out-woke each other. And I know... One person I've talked to a lot in particular, who's like a rock rib lefty, who says that, you know, the terror of that is watching a normal everyday person and they don't even, it's not even a white person. You know, people dislike the stuff of all races, all genders and see that stuff and say, dear God, this is the alternative. This is the other side of this is the kind of AOC stuff or everyone trying to compete with Elizabeth Warren and, and, and Bernie Sanders. I mean, the fact that Bernie Sanders was such an... Think about how quickly that changed in 2016. Such an outlier. So I can't believe people are socialism, 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 right after the Tea Party movement, too. And this guy's up there. And now it's just de rigueur. It's just normal. And everyone's trying to become more Bernie. And he even, like, makes comments about it, which I love. He's like, oh, it was, I was here earlier. I was me, my ideas. And it was like, my heart attack. Yeah, yeah. Not yours, <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what, why are you being more socialist? And, like, you know, you can actually have these things where he, it, his criticism of Liz Warren was that she's a capitalist. Yeah. Uh, I'm not pretending. And she is a capitalist. And she's a running dog lackey, as they used to say in Maoist China, of, you know, the capitalist class. And it's funny. Could you imagine somebody who's like a legitimately a front runner and fading, of course, now, but legitimately a front runner 10 years ago, accusing another candidate of being a capitalist instead of a socialist. It's crazy. It's It's like, I mean, it is, you know, people on the left used to, uh, people, Democrats used to say, no, 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 I'm not that. No, no, we're not the please. And they used to, they used to fall over themselves to, to, to demonstrate that they weren't, I mean, come on, it's not Sandinista Nicaragua here. I think there's something to the, uh, yeah. Uh, the notion of always listen to what people are whispering to you about their side. And so right now on the Republican side, it's like, my God, Trump mm. is a shit show. Mm-hmm. We all know it. You know it. They're, they're not whispering it in, in the in recent weeks. Some people get louder or whatever. And then Thankfully, they're getting louder. And as, seri- as, as soon as they, they break apart. Well, my 
problem and your problem even more, Camille, is that mm-hmm. they only do this when it's about foreign policy and That's not going true. in a certain direction. But um, they have some material to work with, mm-hmm. uh, certainly. Um, but on the Democratic side, if that can be one big side, it really is about that stuff. It's about the super wokeness. It's it's constant. I mean, on uh, you know, Megan referenced the school stuff. That's it's the people whispering like, I don't. I just you know, um, maybe they shouldn't call all of us racists all the time. It's the George Packer essay. Speaking of a yeah. liberal who, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and those things are instructive, and we should charge through them yeah i don't don't know if they're doing that more the super wokeness thing or the you know she has ideas that she can't pay for i'm not sure which one of those things that they're more concerned about who's they because the the pete Buttigieg edge edge um like so homophobic it's amazing i'm sorry amazing wow i'm jamaican okay i know i'm trying to say um but I don't know. Let's not go there because we've been going too long. Yeah. Um, Megan, your book is The Problem With Everything, My Journey Through the New Culture Wars. People should go out and get that. We've talked about it uh, for quite a bit today. Um, Is there anything that you'd like to say in closing to to play us out? You can sing to play us out. Uh, Are you pointing to me? No, that's um, just that's it. It's a Bill O'Reilly. Are you asleep? It's a Bill O'Reilly you thing. You fell asleep like 20 no, minutes ago. It's a Bill here. O'Reilly thing. The fuck happened? I mean, you were talking <laughs> for a while. Just take Adderall. <laughs> Jesus, Camille. I would, the only thing I, because I, I feel like I did not answer Matt's question, and I appreciate your interjecting so I could try to think of an answer, but uh, I would say it's not. Oh, I thought you gave it's up. It's not a political. <laughs> I did give up, but yeah. I'm going to. No, just, I, I would say one final thing. It's just not. Um, it's it's ultimately not a book about politics as much as mm-hmm. it's about like the, the psychology of the moment, mm-hmm. and so I, I guess I don't really worry that I've gone over to the other side as much as I'm just kind of drilling down. I'm interested in in what people are thinking and how we're talking about things, mm-hmm. and that's really what what the book is about. It's about thinking. Mm-hmm. So. But you should buy the book for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, you should not right? just think Tuesday, about the book. You should buy. It. You should it. buy yeah. it. Yes, pre-order. Yeah. Buy it. Some yeah. some very good prose. And Thank when uh, Camille's going to get mad at me for this, then Uh-oh. yeah, I just don't care. Because if you come this far through this podcast, which I think now is on the Ben-Hur <laughs> tier <laughs> of, of length, um, this is the sorrow and the pity. Um, <laughs> but if you have come this far, um, we've talked about a few things that are forthcoming. And one of the things that is forthcoming, and by the way, this is actually not our avarice and greed of defra- or just defraying the cost of, of this podcast. People request this routinely. Absolutely. And it's yes. so crazy to me. Where can we pay you? The Patreon will be dropping very, 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 very soon. So soon. So soon. So um, in that Patreon, here's the thing. You should support it just because you love us and you want us to keep doing this and don't want us to go broke doing it. But more than anything, we want to incentivize you to do it because we're at the end of the day, we're capitalists. Mm-hmm. And we want to give you some sort of a uh, market incentive. And one of those things is um, early releases of special dispatches, you know, uh, stuff that we haven't released previously and um, a special dispatches, particularly for Patreon subscribers, one of which Camille and I have already recorded. Mm-hmm. And it's just us yammering Jesus about bullshit Christ, for an hour. <laughs> it's bullshit. See, it is I, would, I would be all over that. I'm sitting in my desk lonely. Oh my is, I'll send it to you after. It's it going to cost you. Is, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is bananas. At the end, I said to Camille, like, maybe we shouldn't be so discursive next it's time. He's like, no, point. people like that. And it's I'm like, really? Point. Do they? That was yeah. still on mic, by the way. No, no I know. Yeah. I know. It is on mic. Yeah. So yeah. that's coming soon. Um, and we'll have.
have special stuff. My, my for favorite all of you. bit was the whole the whole section on the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, which we, of course, which of course yeah. has hijacked a good part of my week because I'm nearly halfway book through this book. Yeah, what do you yeah, think? But you'll have to listen to it to find out. I I, I mean, it's engrossing. It, it I is love engrossing it because after reading the other book, yeah. I was actually I was I was flirting with Kennedy conspiracy theory. Yeah, and I and I and I said I, I said him right and couldn't couldn't it. you've brought me back on the dark straight. side. So if you subscribe, still that Jack Ruby is mom connected. Now come on. I'm kidding. Every, every, you own a strip club. Of course you're mom connected. Come on. <laughs> I own a strip club. I know everybody in the in the MS13. Um, I don't know what the mom is anymore. Uh, but subscribe yeah. and you will get the dumbest conversation between Camille and I, which is an hour. It is not. And we heard it at my apartment too. Yeah. This mm. just before it you almost great. died. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. That's exactly. right. That would have yep. been my swan song. That would have been really depressing. That would have been That was the last shit that I ever recorded. Pretty good. <laughs> All right, we should get the hell out All of right. here. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.